0: Hello there, and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts, and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, we're going to make an episode all about Zelda games. So, Zelda is something that comes up a lot on this podcast in our Best Games of the Year episodes, and also just elsewhere, like um, Breath of the Wild featured. Well, did we both have Breath of the Wild as number one in our Best Games of the Generation? I don't remember, but. I believe we did. Yeah. So, yes very high very um a game you know that we we both love and the series in general obviously matthew with his nintendo kind of heritage and mags has a lot of like passionate thoughts on the zelda series so with (laughs) the legend of zelda skyward sword releasing in hd this week on nintendo switch as you're listening to this well i suppose if you're listening to it later it's not this seemed like a good time to go through the top 10 Zelda games. So at the start here, we're going to talk a bit about Skyward Sword HD and what Matthew thinks of that. He's been playing it. I've asked for a recopy from Nintendo, which I think they're going to send me. But unfortunately, after this episode is live, maybe I'll talk about it in a future episode. Um, the <laughs> listeners do not need to know that. And um, <laughs> and so what people will get is a really good sort of like broad view of, of Matthew's sort of takes on the Zelda series and hopefully some good recommendations generally and some hmm. quite unusual sort of opinions on the series. Matthew, you've been kind of threatening me with this being a controversial episode of sorts. How have you kind of approached this um, this list?
1: Well, I, I mean, it's 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 a total heart list, obviously, you know, for those playing um, Backpage Bingo. The strange thing about Zelda is that if you asked me a week ago, my list probably would have been quite different. And the week before that, quite different. I am quite uh, mercurial when it comes to this series. And... I have a, a natural fondness for a lot of them. I think they're quite hard to put into a list, I will say. Because for me, it's just a general soup of quality where I'm kind of glad all of them exist for different reasons. So it's not, I wouldn't say there are like major gulfs between my picks. And it's a, it's a strange old thing like just reading and thinking about Zelda, any particular, any Zelda game. Instantly makes me want to go back and play it. Like, they just all have that kind of effect on me. So, you know, I've been rereading, like, water Asks for this episode, and that was massively changing my list because I was like, oh, yeah, good point. This was great. And then I was looking over some of my old reviews and replaying some of them. And so it's, it was just constantly shifting. It was really nightmarish. My affections lie with a particular kind of Zelda game, which means another kind of Zelda game gets slightly. Um, Hard done by on the list, which is where the controversy lies. (laughs) I feel fans of older retro Zelda will probably be quite disappointed in my list, but it reflects what I'm into.
0: Yep, and that's ultimately the point of the list, you know, and, you know, it's personal preference. It's not like you're saying the ones that don't rank are necessarily bad, unless you are, in which case, yeah, you're uh, going uh,
1: no. no, I don't think so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, good stuff. So, Matthew, let's start with Skyward Sword HD then. So, yeah. you've been playing this, you are, you know, infamous on this podcast for giving this the Edge 10. and um, therefore dragging the entire scoring system down. I'm only joking there. But (laughs) I was curious, what do you make of it going back to it in this new Switch version? And do you think that it's worth picking up for people who maybe bounced off the game the first time?
1: So yeah, I I reviewed this for The Guardian where I've just given it four stars, which is obviously quite different to an Edge 10. Does this mean I take back that Edge 10? (laughs) I don't think so. I think when I reviewed it at the time, I was reviewing it in the context of Wii. I was reviewing it really as the... The game is a is a love letter to motion controls, and I think motion controls had a lot more to prove at the time, and for me, this game is the game that kind of that did it all and was a bit of a full stop on the end of the Wii. And so I rewarded it as such. Now we're in a slightly different space. We're in a world where Breath of the Wild exists, which has a huge impact on how you perceive Zelda, you know, the level at which you know Nintendo can reach has changed. So coming back to this game after Breath of the Wild is is weird, and that that had the biggest impact because I think, you know, to be honest, this is so different from Breath of the Wild, it's completely the other end of the scale. Where that game is open, this game is linear as hell. And if you didn't like that before, you will still hate that, and it will feel much worse and much more claustrophobic because you have experienced Breath of the Wild since then. And that's kind of the that's that was sort of my read on it. You know, I still really admire what it does in this more linear adventure, but it it feels stranger than ever before and it also just loses the power of surprise because i'm coming back to it and that that's an interesting thing i think we'll get into as we talk about some other zeldas is that returning to zelda returning to older 3d zeldas particularly you can have a very different read on them for various reasons so yeah did you play skyward sword when it came out like originally god
0: i played probably the first hour where you're walking around that floating continent and like, I mean, I, I don't want to sound like a graphic stop here, but it looks super rough on my HDTV. And that was just yeah. the nature of the Wii, obviously. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I must admit, I it felt slightly antiquated to me in, in some ways, but I didn't truly get to grips with the Wii Motion Plus stuff. And um, I always appreciate the fact that your journey with this game was tied into your journey with motion control on the Wii generally, which was you saw what good and bad motion control was and you saw the different ways it evolved you know
1: yes and and that's that is for me like scoured so 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 you have to kind of divorce it a bit from zelda to kind of understand where i was coming from you know i it was review i was reviewing it more as as a yeah as as a as a motion plus the kind of final word but also you know i did i did like it as a zelda and i do really like it i mean Something you will see in my list is something I really value in the Zelda games is the puzzles and the dungeons. And this game is just... it is puzzles from start to finish. I mean, the, the flaw of it is that it, it doesn't really have an overworld. It doesn't really kind of pretend to be a living, organic world anywhere. It is a completely artificial, puzzle-filled space. Like, it's it's a game where the overworld plays like a dungeon which to me is kind of heaven. I love that stuff. You know, I love getting to grips and getting my head around Nintendo puzzles. The problem with returning to this now is that I have already done that and I remember most of the solutions. And so my relationship with the HD version is kind of going, oh yeah, I remember this. Oh yeah, that was cool. Oh, it's the cool bit where I do X. You know, there've been a couple of bits where I'm like, oh yes, very clever. Like it stumped me afresh. But it's very hard to replay a Zelda and get that kind of impact. If you are into that particular thing. So, you know, if you loved Skyward Sword before, that is something to take into consideration, that returning to it is is maybe some of the shine comes off those puzzles the second time around. If you played all the way through it and hated it, this won't change your mind. Like, it hasn't changed, you know, the, the you know what the game is. I mean, the, the control element is, well, I'll talk about that in a sec. But this also isn't for you. Really, I, th- I think this should be aimed at people who just haven't played Skyward Sword and those people, you know, I think they're very lucky in that they get to to play this quite interesting thing. They get to play a much more stable version of it, like the Joy-Con motion control for the sword play is much better, and if you don't connect with it, you do have the stick controls, which work really well. Um, I kind of played it half and half, the HD version, and it basically replaces swipes of the Joy-Con with the right analog stick becomes your sword arm, It's much, much easier with stick controls. Like, you can swing a lot faster. So you can kind of sort of cheese your way through some of the fights. Like, I feel like you don't actually have to connect with it, you know, as mechanically, on a a sort of uh, the same kind of mechanical level as you did with motion controls. Because you can just literally, like, swing, 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 and things just get churned up against your blade. But it does lack a little bit of the... F- I, I still like the motion, the drama of the motion controls, and I think something is lost, but it's it's very comfortable to play um, with button controls. I've, I've sort of, like, uh, you know, I was flicking through some reviews this afternoon, and I think Polygon was like, finally, it's got a control scheme that works, those ghastly motion controls, and these button controls are better, and... I, I'm not I, I think that's 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 overselling it a bit. I mean if you if you are that against motion controls, I don't think there's any game on the world in, in you know, anyone could make a game that was gonna convert you, you know, if you're that stuck in your ways. But yeah, it's it's a very just a a, a very polished, smart, smoother version of that game, but i I don't think it's like transformed at all. You know, it's that's that's why I just think people know where they stand on this game already and so you know The review is really for people who haven't played it.
0: And of those people who haven't played it, I guess like Nintendo is probably hoping that some of the people who like Breath of the Wild will play this. But obviously Breath of the Wild is experiential as an open world game in a way that this definitely isn't from the way you make it sound. So do you think like newbies will truly get it?
1: If you played Breath of the Wild and you came away feeling, oh man, this game didn't feel like a Zelda game. It had no dungeons. You might get on better with this because this is only that. Oh uh, really? If you play, if if you played previous Zelda games but skipped Skyward Sword and then played Breath of the Wild, and you like Breath of the Wild, but you like those previous ones, y- you know you're you're enough of a Zelda fan that you should be probably playing all the mainline entries. Hmm. It's kind of hard to imagine that person. Like I can't really imagine as a self-proclaimed Zelda fan who hasn't played Skyward Sword. But if your first game was yeah Breath of the Wild, and what you loved was the yeah, the, the freedom and spontaneity of that world. There is none of that in this. And, you know, I've, I'm pretty sure we've mentioned it on this, this podcast before. I've definitely joked about it on social media. This, this attempt of Nintendo to sort of frame Skyward Sword as this sort of prototype for Breath of the Wild is ludicrous. You know, they try and draw the thread in that... Scourge Sword introduces like a stamina meter for climbing and a sailcloth for gliding, but it's not. It's a sailcloth for parachuting straight down. It's basically an emergency landing when you fall from a great height. There's no like gliding across epic environments. And the stamina meter is for like dashing and climbing up very fixed walls like vines and medium-sized cliff faces. It's a puzzle mechanic. It's not an organic system to exploit. You know, it is, I have got X amount of stamina and I have to get from A to B and there is a fixed solution to do it. It is not, I have this sort of general idea of stamina I have to manage to get around. It's It's. It's far colder and clockwork than Breath of the Wild and so to, really, they're so different. I mean... This is very story heavy compared to the Breath of the Wild. This is really explicit in what you're meant to be doing. You know, if, if you went to Breath of the Wild and found it, you're flummoxed just by the sheer openness and the lack of direction. The freedom that everyone celebrates for some people is a curse. This is, you will know what you're meant to be doing. You will have a rollicking 30, 40 hours and you'll get to the end of it. You will be playing... A more streamlined version of it that fixes it speeds up some of the tutorializing. you can skip the text like I definitely got through this game a lot quicker than I did when I reviewed it on Wii like it's a lot of subtle differences that kind of add up to to a, a, a I would say a reasonable time saving, particularly in those early hours where there is a lot of like story before you get into the fun of it.
0: Interesting I feel like I've now seen Nintendo do this a couple of times with their games just like finding ways to cut some corners out being quite honest about pacing things that don't work I'm thinking specifically of Wind Waker HD cutting down the um yeah not the end game quest but you know the close when you gotta collect the eight different. yeah yeah
1: collecting the Triforce quest yeah it's um yeah I I think that you know people are a bit snooty about Nintendo's remakes remasters whatever we want to call them but i think they do make subtle changes you know particularly starting with the ocarina of time on 3ds they made some smart fundamental choices which altered people's perception of certain things you know we'll get to this later but that 3ds remake you know it basically made i think it reveals the water temple for the brilliant bit of puzzle engineering it actually is because there's just less faff a a very small interface tweak makes it a much more pleasurable yeah wind waker it sped up the boring bit here it speeds up the tutorials yeah it's you know it's
0: it's it's smart stuff good stuff well i think then matthew that b- pretty much covers it for the um, hd remake so well we got plenty to get maybe it'll there. be in my top 10 yeah exactly so it's bound to come up again uh a little bit later well, maybe we don't know <laughs> yeah sorry i yeah, want to maintain the mystery yeah it may or may not come up <laughs> who knows um, will it beat Link's cl- crossbow training we can't be sure <laughs> Um, so Matthew let's take a short break there we'll come back and we're going to talk a bit about what makes a great Zelda game and our own personal histories with the series because I think that'll be some um, setting the groundwork for uh, what's to come in the list that would be good let's do it Matthew, what was your first encounter with Zelda?
1: So I think it was either Link's Awakening on the Game Boy or playing a Zelda Game & Watch of all things, which sounds like a bit of a made-up hipstery story, like (laughs) my first Zelda was the Game & Watch, but I'm pretty sure uh, my friend Mark in junior school had it and I played it on a school trip and I didn't really know what Zelda was. And I, you know, so, but it lodged in my head because it said sort of Zelda on it. It was one of the hinged game and watches. And that to me, you know, anything vaguely video game shaped was the most exciting thing I could possibly imagine as a seven-year-old or whatever. But yeah, Link's Awakening's definitely like the first Zelda I played and completed all the way through. Uh, And then we're into like Link to the Past. I, I absolutely, totally skip the NES generation of Zelda's until much later, literally playing them when I was on Endgame. I, I just hadn't played them. I, I didn't have any like nostalgic relationship. I'll say right up front, neither of those are in my list.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that, I think that one of the things I sent you on Discord earlier was knowing what I know about you, I'm 99% sure that the Legend of Zelda on the NES will not make it into this list. I know. I know that some people think there's some real a real purity to that game. I don't know. I'll uh, I won't talk for
1: you. Let's say uh, we'll get to it it's, later. It's, it, it, yeah, it's 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 old as hell. Um, <laughs> uh, I think they were so generous to this game when they were talking about how it inspired Breath of the Wild. Like I wonder if everyone has to be super polite about Legend of Zelda because it is like Miyamoto's Zelda. And actually, so much of the revolutions that have happened in Zelda are nothing to do with Miyamoto. But everyone feels like they've got to say it because he's the boss. That's probably not not true. I imagine these these dudes did grow up on it and they're being honest. But I feel like they almost embarrassed him with Breath of, Breath of the Wild. <laughs> like they made one of Nintendo's greatest ever games. And so they have to say, "But, but it wouldn't have happened without Miyamoto's design, you know, 35 years ago or whatever. And I'm like, okay, sure. (laughs) Now we're getting into the spicy stuff. I I must admit, having read a bunch
0: of the um, Iwata asks on this, Miyamoto does come up quite a fair bit, but in instances in Ocarina of Time, for example, where he'll come in and say I want it so when you jump over the chasm on opponent the horse um the camera cuts so it's facing upwards and you can see <laughs> the sun and that's like this the note he gives that creates like months yeah. of work you know Yeah,
1: I think they undersell his involvement in Ocarina in that interview a bit, (laughs) in that the only two anecdotes they tell about him is the thing with the horse and wanting bits of the chopped up sign to float on the water. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And you'd think that that's all he contributed, (laughs) which I don't think is true. (laughs) No, no, I mean, there's um, that story. I think it's a
0: fairly famous story as well about how he's, um, he's badgered by a shopkeeper at one point for the fact that the game had been delayed. Like... Heaven right. forbid, Ocarina of Time took three years to make. I mean, oh, wow. I mean, you know, if only they knew. If only they knew. But um, what, was your, what was your first Zelda? Okay, so my first encounter with Zelda was with Link's Awakening 2. And I wonder if this is a fairly common experience for people in Europe, where obviously the SNES was successful here, but, you know, not as successful as the Mega Drive, particularly in the UK. And so I wonder if a lot of people... Game Boy was mega successful globally, if people just had a Game Boy, and this is one of the games that they they just had for it, because um, yeah, when I've been looking at lists of the best like Game Boy games, thinking about oh, what stuff that I kind of missed or whatever, Links Awakening is like what I want out of games. It's head and shoulders above pretty much everything else on the system in terms of like it's got a story and overworld and you know a lot yeah. going a lot going on. A lot a lot of Game Boy games are just very simple, kind of like toys basically, and um, mm. an extension of Game and Watch, like you say. And so Link's Awakening, I I play this in 1998, I think it was, because my friend of mine had Ocarina of Time. I didn't have an N64, but I did have a Game Boy. I thought, what is a Zelda I can play? There is this Zelda. Um, It was before I had a Game Boy Color, so I bought the original version, and I played Mm. loads and loads of Link's Awakening. So that's a very foundational game for me. And Mm. um, yeah, so that was my first encounter, Matthew. I was curious if, for you, obviously working on Nintendo magazines, what was the kind of journey you went on with Zelda while kind of like working on covering Nintendo professionally and do you think there's any kind of like sort of connection between the types of games that Nintendo makes and the hardware they make they make just because traditionally there's like so much synergy between them in terms of like the intent in a way that you don't get with Sony and Microsoft I've asked you a lot there but um you know I'm talking about
1: yeah so Zelda's a weird one because obviously I joined the mag just as Twilight Princess is coming out and I feel like the, the the exciting kind of journalistic journey with that game was already done. Like, I, I don't think I wrote about Twilight Princess in Endgamer ever. And then, just because there is such a massive gap between them, it vanishes, and it's just a, a series we can't really write about from a here's new things. So, you know, Mario was much more present on Gamer as a figure. You know, we were writing a lot more about Mario. We never really went deep into Zelda one of the exciting bits of the job and it came at the right time was you know when things were beginning to wane a bit later on you know in 2010 we suddenly have skyward sword to talk about and you know it, it was fun to kind of try and apply our sort of end gamery you know everything but the kitchen sink approach to kind of hyping something um to, to a Zelda finally that was that was exciting the actual Zeldas we got I know oh, the handheld ones as well obviously which I'll, I'll you know a, a, a kind of key to it but but i think the thing that kind of defines zelda in this period is that they become like massive hardware showcases particularly for like unique hardware control schemes it's also a period when nintendo is trying to court a new audience of casual gamers a new audience of not just casual gamers but new gamers so there's this sense of like like, these are, these are games in a series which we have a long relationship with, but they are also introductory entries. And that changes the nature of them, like, entirely. Like, Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks, for all their various strengths, are, like, absolute kind of pushovers. You cannot fail at those games. They are designed for you to see through start to finish. And I would argue that a quality of Zelda and a quality of the adventuring spirit that Zelda is trying to tap into It's a sense of mystery and discovery which I don't think plays well with what Nintendo are trying to achieve with those games. I think the the problem that people have with Phantom Hourglass Spirit Tracks and Skyward Sword is that they over-explain, that they hold your hand and this sense of kind of picking away at a world and the mysteries of the world never surfaces in them. So the entire character of those games, like, it absolutely changes because of where Nintendo are at. So you know, while it was fun to review them and play them, it was also... I felt like they weren't necessarily the Zeldas that, like, the core end-gamer reader would get excited about, if that makes sense. I think that makes sense, yeah. Like, um, uh, we can
0: talk about this when we get to the games, because I, I learned a lot from those Owataras uh, about how they perceived the different people playing the games at the time and um, mm. how that informed the games they made. So that can come up a bit later. So I wanted to ask a bit about A.G. Anuma Matthew. So um, yeah, obviously, like the kind of series overseer doesn't get involved until the n64 games but is now kind of like steering the whole thing and um has been for a long time sounds like a man who's been very tired for a long time just um <laughs> reading his sort of like <laughs> recollections in the water ass. but um <laughs> what do you make of him and how do you measure his influence on the series
1: i i really really rate him as a, as a person i've never met him so i only know him through interviews and mainly those are what are interviews i love him as a personality i think he's a sort of a fascinating figure at Nintendo because he has been with the Zelda team so long. And, you know, something that does come up in those Iwata asks is, like, how much movement between games and series there are. Like, often at the start of those interviews, is like, oh, you know, you're the programmer on Skyward Sword, what else have you done? He's like, oh, I did a, I did a bit of Pitmin 2, and I did a bit of Super, New Super Mario Brothers Wii, and I did a bit of brain training or whatever. And... You know, so you get this idea that they've got like a workforce that's sort of shifting around. The idea of of a Zelda team is a bit of a sort of misnomer, I think. It it doesn't really exist in that form. But Anuma is like this quite incredible kind of through line, keeping up the kind of enthusiasm and championing the series without ever becoming like too much of just like a cold management figure. Because, you know, he is super senior in that team. You know, the, 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 the actual kind of. What his day-to-day involvement is like in the kind of creative, you know, idea generation, is a bit of a mystery. I would say even those interviews, it's it's sometimes hard to kind of pick out. He's shepherding people who are coming up with with a lot of ideas, but as someone who's kind of like constantly thinking about like the values of Zelda, and is kind of a yeah a champion of it, a kind of protector of a series of values which are very very hard to pin down. I think that's kind of fascinating. And I think he served that role with, like, great humour and skill. Like, I think he's, you know, his track record speaks for him. He's produced a shit-ton of absolutely amazing games. Like, even the ones that aren't good, you know, aren't the, as good as the others, they're still better than what most people would make. And, like, within the series, there's just so much variation and change that it's not just someone phoning it in. You he's know, not just the, the owner of the Zelda template, because there is isn't one. You know, they're all so radically different. He's probably, if I could interview anyone at Nintendo, for like a proper, like if you could sit down and and just ask them anything kind of interview, which don't really exist, it would probably be him. What I'd really kind of want to know is, because obviously,
0: you know, when um, Iwata passes,
1: like the uh,
0: there isn't any kind of replacement for the type of insight he was doing on how Nintendo games were made. I understand they've just started doing something similar though. yeah. For the Garage, uh, what's it called? The um, Nintendo Switch kind of game maker thing they just... Yeah,
1: it suggests that that's going to be a thing going forwards as well, which is good.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I really hope they take the fact that Breath of the Wild 2 is coming out as a chance to d- dive into the making of one, because obviously the scale of it changes so much with, um, like, you've got Monolith Soft contributing sort of, you know, probably yeah. parts of the world and basically how you build an open <laughs> world game and all that stuff. So the scale of it is so different. I sort of A story I really liked that I thought summed them up a little bit was... Basically he comes off of Twilight Princess as that project wraps up and he checks in with the kind of Phantom Hourglass team to see how that's going. He then suggests a raft of improvements and then like delays the game by 3 months to help help the team implement the improvements and everyone on the team agrees it was the right thing to do and then he completes the game 10 times i think he says and like <laughs> I you think know, that kind of speaks to his instinct of, he, yeah. I understand that these are the things this game needs to be as good as it can be, and maybe that's his kind of like magic. Yeah,
1: he's still, yeah, while it's sort of hard to say, you know, honestly, to maybe tie specific features to him, a lot of the anecdotes are of someone who's like very hands-on and has definitely proven himself in the art of making Zelda games. I mean, Ocarina of Time, he basically... Uh, he's sort of responsible for the, the first six dungeons and the kind of, sort of the designing them, that is. You know, he designs the Water Temple. You know, he kind of creates the th- the structure for a 3D Zelda dungeon, which then defines the entire series moving forwards. That's, that's pretty major, but you also get these little glimpses on, like... You know, when they're talking about uh, Link Between Worlds... He himself creates a prototype of building a section of the Link to the Past map in stereoscopic 3D to see what it would look like to prove that it would translate. You know, he spends like three days or whatever doing this in his own time, you know, which is, it doesn't sound like your traditional producer or what you know of producers from like Western studios. You know, you've got someone who's like, oh, I've got a bit of an idea, and sort of goes off and, and tries to do it to kind of prove that it's doable. Yeah, I, I think he's oh, he's great. He's just such a he's got such a sort of sort of chilled vibe, and he's in in the interviews. He's got like big magazine editor energy. In that he's just been around for ages, and he can only like it's been like on this podcast. He can only like half remember a lot of stuff, and he's just sort of bemused at the kind of half half remembered anecdotes that he can tell. I got a lot of time for that, you know. It's if if it was very genuine and honest, I think long running series have been the downfall of like many studios and many publishers the ability to shepherd something to understand what makes it tick without letting the weight of its reputation like crush you and throw you off i mean kind of compare you know the bumpy ride that like final fantasy's had mm. you know in its latter half of its life which is kind of comparable as a kind of how long it's been going on and he must be doing something really right for it to have the regularity and the quality that it does have Absolutely. Okay, so Matthew, something I
0: was going to ask you, but I think will be better answered by your list was, um, what do you think makes a great Zelda game at its core? And I think that we'll probably tap into this as we go. Um, yeah. But I was really curious about, when are you less impressed by Zelda? And do you think Nintendo has ever truly got it wrong in the time you've been playing games?
1: I think the thing they've never, they've never lost the kind of polish or quality bar of like zelda is precious to them and it's clear and they've never like completely shit the bed on on that front like i say with the wii and ds generation i think it becomes what it values is slightly different and i still love those games i you know uh the the ds games particularly and and, and skyward swords but they are they are very different and they're the ones which i understand the most if people who you know, long-term Zelda fans are cooler on them or bounce off them, I can sort of f- sort of fully understand. For me personally, I'd say their multiplayer experiments are of less interest to me. Just, But I don't know if that's just because of, like, how much faff they were, you know, with regards to, like, you had to own 12 billion Game Boy Advances and, like, all that cable and everything um, to make it work on the GameCube, which amazing if you can do it but like really really rotten for everyone else weirdly the best time i ever had with four swords was when they re-released the the little four swords freebie on i think it was dsi for like the 25th anniversary Mm. do you remember this yeah i was it on 3ds i think i own it on 3ds was it on 3ds maybe i'm getting my wires crossed my dates are a little muddled but yeah that that was the basically the mode that came with Link to the past for the Game Boy Advance. When they remade Link to the Past for the Game Boy Advance, it had like a smaller version of Four Swords, Hmm. which is what they ported. It isn't Four Swords Adventure, which was the GameCube version. But actually like the only way that game was ever gonna work was if you gave it to like everyone for free on a console which can link up much more easily. So a DSR or 3DS, or whatever it was. Like, that's the only time I've played Four Swords Adventure with Four People, or Four Swords with Four People, was because we all had it for free. And it was great, but I was like, man, this is just... It's kind of bogus, and so much of Zelda is a solitary experience. I just don't know if it translates. I mean, my, the, the Zelda I've only played 20 minutes of was that um, Triforce Heroes Was Mm. it the 3ds one? Yeah. That's not on my. I have. I have like. I played a little bit of it. it Was like nah, not for me. Bounced completely off it. That's about as wide of the mark as it's ever been. Just it's not a. I don't know. For a world which has so much like iconic stuff in it, and uh, you know, it's it is a world. You know, people love Hyrule, and they love that world. It's surprising how, like, a few spin-offs there have been, and B, like, you know, they just haven't really worked. You know. Link's Crossbow Training spoiler alert is not in my top ten. <laughs> yeah, are there any else you do like, Matthew, that still didn't make your top ten? No, not not really. I mean, I I I contemplated the Warriors games because they're quite good fan service, but they're also a little monotonous. I tell you what, if the the Age of Calamity or the one they did recently for Switch that's kind of based on Breath of the Wild, if that ran smoothly that may have been at the number 10 slot because it's a brilliant bit of fan service for Breath of the Wild and it, it it really plays on a lot of fun characters it's absolutely spectacular as well but it just runs like an absolute pig so um that's that's a shame that that might be reevaluated if it if they ever release a Switch Pro and get it running properly
0: yeah well that's on you Coey. it's on you to sort yeah it out. that yeah
1: so, but that they're, they're like those games are like surprisingly good i'm not so sure about like the screeching guitar versions of zelda tunes but you know that's me
0: yeah well that's like the uh, the unfortunate lineage of uh, dynasty warriors well it depends on your feelings on dynasty warriors i suppose but
1: um, yeah yeah it's fine it's it's a it's a formula that's easy to click with when it's wrapped in like fun zelda characters i think mm. yeah absolutely so yeah okay good stuff matthew there's only
0: one thing i kind of wanted to touch on then before we get into your list which is I feel like we should mention Breath of the Wild sequel a little bit. It doesn't have a title, but obviously has been revealed now in some form, um, some kind of floating continent above the old world from Breath of the Wild. Is there anything else you want from that sequel based on what we know now?
1: When I of like the skydiving stuff, that gets me really excited. That feels to me like they're actually you know, they, have, they haven't they have done that properly in Skyward Sword. That is an idea that was too good to only try once and not quite get right. Like skydiving and sailing through the air and just throwing yourself off and soaring through the clouds. It's great in Skyward Sword, but it's sort of fake. It, it never really comes alive. So like I'm really glad they're going back to that idea. I mean, I'm a little wor- worried maybe about that it does seem to be Breath of the Wild's Hyrule again. And So much of what made Breath of the Wild good was exploring that for the first time and discovering it. And I know it's a big and complex place, but most of us have spent hundreds of hours charting it in its entirety. I would be worried about them just going, you know, oh, it's the place again. And like, you're going to spend the meat of the game there. And, uh, you know, that would be a little bit kind of what have you been doing for five years? (laughs) Not to look a gift horse in the mouth, but there would be an element of that. I think, Um, unless they've really radically changed how... I don't know how you deal with that space, but I can't... You know, maybe they're geniuses and they have thought of a way of completely refreshing it, or maybe they're playing their cards close to the chest and, like, that Sky stuff is, like, way more substantial than it maybe looks, or there's more changes on the map or or whatever, but that kind of... That gives me a little bit of fear. Because straight sequel work's quite rare in Zelda you know and you know in the past if anything where they have done it it's been an opportunity to do some like weird stuff and you know like the, you know I'm sure we'll talk about this when we talk about Majora's Mask you have an opportunity to kind of go wild and play with the conventions but you know a lot of what they've shown of that in that trailer you know it could have been Breath of the Wild 1 in places.
0: Yeah I think so too and I think like you I share the optimism that they've got something there keeping up their sleeve that yeah we've br- it's oh, t- yeah so first it's look too
1: big it's too big and special the cl- I mean, that cloud stuff just looks amazing i mean you know i'd pay 60 quid for that right now yeah i, I you know and and, and replaying scoured sword recently is, has made me think oh yeah that you know there is so much potential in that kind of that kind of clambering around just to dive into hyrule from that height you know would be amazing like that would be exciting in itself but you know, I don't know if I can, uh, like, how many more kind of Bokoblins I can roll bombs down the same hill at, you know, and still be thrilled. But
0: we'll wait and see. Uh the yeah, uh, yeah, the weary experiences of a, a very um, of a Zelda veteran there. But um, <laughs> yeah, I yeah uh, yeah, let's um, let's see how that pans out. So, Matthew, let's take a short break and then we'll get into your top ten Zelda games. Let's do it. back to the podcast so let's get down to it Matthew the top 10 Zelda games why don't you hit me with your number 10
1: and then we'll count down to number one so I wanted to ask you a question first there's 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 something quite big that isn't on my list and I don't know whether I should talk about it up front or we should talk about it at the end so can I guess what the game is I mean, you can. It just depends like whether how we want to do it. Because I don't know. Because if we keep it till the end, it feels like we'll be ending on a bit of a downer note. But then there's also the excitement of, like, what could it be?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I, I feel almost certain that it's a link between worlds on the 3DS, just from what I know about you. Am I right? It isn't. Oh, is it a link to the past? It is. Yes. I, I thought it'd be one of those. But, um, yeah, okay. So I think let's go with that first, because I think it will offer quite a good... Well, an idea of your perspective on Zelda and what you think is important, because obviously this is a foundational Zelda game. So, um, yeah, why don't you explain why this didn't make your list?
1: Yeah, so A Link to the Past is a game which if you'd asked me 10 years ago what the top three Zelda games are, A Link to the Past would have been in it. I had amazing memories of this game, playing it with with my friends across the river, the mysterious boys across the river, which sounds like (laughs) something from a Zelda game. We used to go to their house, play their snares. I, you know, one of my clearest early gaming memories is getting to the the, sort of the fake ending, I guess, of Link to the Past, where you then go into the dark world we didn't know about any of that stuff we thought we'd finish the game like when we got to where his name is agonime i think it is you know batting the the lasers back we did the three opening dungeons which in themselves were like substantial and difficult enough that we were like we've done it we finally finished a link to the past (laughs) and then it was like this is whole other world there's like seven other dungeons you know you're a rabbit (laughs) good luck So that was, like, wild. And that will always be locked in my head as, like, one of the best Zelda moments ever. Like, that is a piece of pure Nintendo genius magic that I'll be forever thankful for. But... I replayed this just before A Link Between Worlds came out because I wanted to refresh myself because that game, if you don't know, is the sort of semi-sequel to this, set in a very similar layout, Hyrule. It, it was going to have all these connective ties, so I thought I should probably replay this and refresh my mind. And it's a marvellous game. Like, it's not a bad game at all. I'm, I'm, but I, I, the thing I really bounced off in, in this, and this is something I value greatly in my list of games, is I think the actual like dungeoning and puzzle solving and puzzle construction kind of changes later than Link to the Past. And I'd forgotten that. It's it's much more of a kind of pure action experiences in the dungeons. There are a lot kind of colder, knottier and mechanical sort of labyrinths to explore. And it, it kind of really bummed me out. I actually had quite a bad time replaying this um, because of those dungeons. It feels like a very sexy version of like the kind of legend of zelda dungeons you go into a room there's probably a combat challenge or a slightly awkward bit of platforming and then you go to the dungeon there's often a malarkey with a lot of keys and i can't really be doing with that yeah and it it just I, i was kind of amazed that i'd remembered these places as being a lot better than they are and to see this game so regularly topping the best of lists, and I know so many people who I respect who hold this as their favourite Zelda, I do wonder, like, who has played this again since New Zelda, you know, like, and would they still hold that opinion? I don't know. What's your relationship with this game? So I played up to exactly the moment where you become a rabbit, and
0: I right. thought, I thought like you, that I had completed the game, and I thought, <laughs> Bonanza? It was Christmas 2007. <laughs> <laughs> and I was playing it on my DS, and I was like, oh, thank God, I completed it. I can't believe I completed it. That was a piece of piss compared to Link's Awakening. And then obviously I hadn't completed the game. And then I never went back to it after that. And I don't—I think I just looked at that map, and I just felt dejected by the like amount of work in front of me. And so, right. uh, so yeah, I'm kind of guilty of not finishing this one. But, um, yeah, let me just share something I found kind of interesting from reading about the background of the Zelda games in the Otoas, which is that... Yeah. Um, so, this game and Link's Awakening are both directed by Takashi Tezuka, yeah. and I understand that like Link's Awakening was born from the developers of this game wanting to kind of make a kind of slightly unusual remixed, kind of weird version of Zelda for the game Boy. It started out as let 's make um a link to the past, work on a game boy that's obviously you know a preposterous yeah. goal, and it turned into this more experimental Zelda game, and something that was observed in that interview was that. Links. It takes Links Awakening for the series to become a bit more story oriented, and I think that that's quite important to me. And so, I don't. Yeah. I didn't feel like I had that same connection to a link to the past world that I did with Links Awakening, which is I just mean, stuff the, with character. But I don't know. Maybe that's very yeah, subjective. Uh,
1: the, the, the opening to this game is is like one of the great game openings from a story perspective. The kind of you're woken up on a dark and stormy night, and you go into the castle, You know, it. it you you feel like you know you're some scummy little peasant boy who's had this very like one-off rare opportunity to go somewhere where you would never be you know it 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 is it's got the bones of great adventure in it and i should say like you know the the twist that there is this dark world that's a big story twist that for its time that's Mm. a that's a huge bit of like sort of misdirection of what the game's going to be about and but you you are you are definitely right. I, I think what changes with with Link's Awakening is that that there is generally like a weirder story vibe to it. It becomes like the characters are much bigger, and I would argue that like Zelda's strength is in character rather than story um, throughout the series. Like I remember individual people, like individual sound clips of individual people, better than the stories. Like I I've I've got very little interest in, like, Zelda chronology. Like, it used to bore me to tears, all the arguments about that, when I was on Nintendo magazines. We never really engaged with it, because Nintendo themselves are like, story literally comes last. You know, it's purely functional, you know, as long as it works with the game design. Like, it doesn't really matter, which is why the Zelda timeline is this big fractured mess. And, like, occasionally they lean into it, and they sort of tease you that, ooh, you know... Like Skoward Sword, it's the first ever Zelda. Or this one is the sequel to the. You know, they are. They're definitely pitching the story as, as, a, as a bit of a hook with it in a way that they don't with some of the others.
0: The way it was kind of described in Link's Awakening was I think it was put as suspicious characters, is what they added to the series with that. It's yeah. Like this, you know, this weird kind of knockoff Mario and the fact that all <laughs> of the townspeople are quite strange because obviously they're the um, spoiler alert are within a kind of like a big dream and um, that's acknowledged fairly openly by the game and there are a lot of oddballs in that world like you say and that becomes maybe codified there whereas i don't i don't really remember any of the characters i met in a link to the past it has been 14 years that's part of it i'm sure but yeah, I mean, yeah.
1: It's, it's it's definitely not as sophisticated on that front i mean what it does have going for it is like a sound and a look and a tone which is forever burnt into my mind as like that is kind of what a 2D Zelda looks like. Like the look of the bushes, those weird rocks you pick up, just the individual sound effects, the sort of plinks of arrows on shields, the feel of that combat. I mean, I haven't really got problems with the overarching adventure. Like the overworld stuff I still really like and the the interplay between the light world and the dark world is, you know, kind of creates this dual world trope, which a lot of Zeldas then choose to use, but rarely is, as as in as complicated and sophisticated way as this. You know, it, that that is, like, a major trump card to it. I just... For me, there is this sort of pillar of puzzle, sort of dungeon storytelling, like atmospheric dungeons that kind of have a better sense of place where f- they feel like quite generic action gauntlets, and that's quite hard to take that step back, I find. And, it, and the weird thing is, arguably, like, you know, Link's Awakening, which follows so close behind, makes huge leaps in this regard, and um, definitely with like some of the puzzle design and item usage. And we'll get to that when we talk about Link's Awakening. So, yeah, it's it, it, they're on the cusp of something, and it, it's just I know it's this will be a general theme, I think, throughout this list. I think a lot of Zeldas, it's, it's just quite hard to go back. You know, they kind of dazzle you, but then they kind of build on it. And going back is not always wise. Hmm, interesting. Well,
0: there we go. I think we get a good sort of example of our sensibilities there. You still weirdly did sell me on playing A Link to
1: the Past. Um, it's in like, ugh, every Zelda game is essential. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. the dumbest thing about this list. <laughs> is this list like, pointless, Matthew? Are they all just very good? Uh, no, it's not pointless, because uh, like, I hopefully it will reflect my taste. It's quite hard to surprise with a Zelda list, mm. because you're like, surprise, it's ten great Zelda games. What? Um, it's you know the 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 nitty-gritty of the, of the order is is maybe where it gets a bit spicy i was worried with this one because it is it is part of most people's standard top 10 their top 5 even a lot of people it's their number 1 it may sound incredibly dismissive but Like, what I value isn't represented by this game anymore in Zelda, what I want from Zelda. And there's very few Zelda games which I can say that about, and this is one of them. So apologies, Link to the Past. (laughs) But uh, you too old. Well, there you go. Um, The people at home can go play this on Nintendo
0: Switch Online if they want to form their own opinions if they haven't played it uh, somehow. Um, Obviously, there's a Game Boy Advance version available as well. So, Matthew, then, let's um, let's get an idea of what it is you value about uh, Zelda more than anything else. So what's your number 10? So my number ten, as an apology to a link to the past, is a link between worlds. Oh wow! Okay, so um, this obviously has a, like an item borrowing mechanic, but I recall you being slightly down on this compared to other people who love the yeah. Zelda series. Is that right?
1: When we did our three DS, our top ten three DS games, uh, Joe Scrubs was quite into this. I was cool on it. I'm not going to say I'm going to eat my words, but I have replayed a chunk of this since doing that episode, and. Refreshed myself a little bit, so it came with kind of new eyes. Kind of pondered it. It's weird. It's probably a game I still have like <laughs> more cons than pros. In terms of, I actually, I actually really hate the look of this game. Like the art style really doesn't do it for me. Like it, it's it feels kind of like of all the Zelda games, kind of like weirdly budget, and it sounds like they did make it quite fast in um, Niawataras. In this is the one where they famously kind of come up with the concept as a core team, and then they all basically get taken onto other projects. So the whole thing kind of stalls for a year, and then they kind of get f- folded back into it late. But it sounds like they're only really going at it properly for like a year on this. It's a very slick 3DS game. Like the 60 frames per second up until Skyward Sword HD. This was the only 3D Zelda with a 60 frame frame rate. And the 3D... Uh the 3D is not only brilliant, I would say it is one of the major like redeeming features of this in that it takes the top down Zelda dungeon design, which I am generally cooler on, and puts things like that height perspective actually is, is super valuable. Like I love the dungeons where you're kind of like smashing through the floor and hitting springs that kind of throw you up. It actually plays with up-down a lot because of the 3D in more interesting ways than any of the other 2D top-down Zeldas ever could or did or could I think it does have a big problem with the difficulty curve Because it's a game where you can play any dungeons in any order, they're all basically at this quite simple introductory level. They're all designed around one item, because it can only guarantee that you come into the dungeons with one item. Because for those that don't know, the gimmick in this game is that you hire items rather than finding them in dungeons. So you basically hire like a hammer to hit some pegs, and that's the key to the dungeon, which you only need the hammer in. Where, you know, previous Zelda games, it knows that by the sixth dungeon you've got six items from the other dungeons so it can do a lot more complicated things that said and and the the thing which kind of brought me around on it was just playing a couple of the dungeons and seeing like how creative the item use was this is important to me i love zeldas that get new ideas out of old favorites you know i really like that they've got this returning bag of gadgets but they're finding new uses for them like 20 years later that's kind of mad to me uh the wall mechanic where you turn to a painting and sort of scoot along the wall is just a really magical idea that was the idea that they originally pitched a game with that's what got this game like commissioned by miyamoto there's some quite funny stories in that iwata asks about how down miyamoto is on their original pitches. did you see that <laughs> actually
0: that's one of the ones i didn't read actually
1: oh it's great they're like we spent six months coming up with ideas and then we showed them to Miyamoto in like a presentation. and He's like, he had like a face like death and he hated the whole thing. <laughs> and we were like, and he was like, This seems like a game from 20 years ago, which must be rotten to hear from him. Mm. And they're all like shitting it because most of the stories in those interviews, while there is some like tough love, it's very rare like everything we did, Miyamoto hated. But he actually paints him as like quite a scary figure. And then they basically go away and come back with this. Link can turn into a portrait idea. Um, interestingly, they, they, the prototype they make is with the kind of uh, uh, Phantom Hourglass Spirit Tracks kind of perspective. Mm. So more of that kind of angled view rather than top down. And it's that it's the, it's the kind of combination of you know I think it's like Numa basically talks them into going properly top down, and then that triggers the we should do something with the link to the past world, and it all comes together. I think it's an easy game, I think it's quite a simple game, but it's a smart game, good three D, decent Zelda. I think I agree with you about the art style. Like it doesn't dazzle you when you turn it on.
0: I admittedly no, yeah. Admittedly, like, I'm playing on two DS these days as well. And I, I do I think I did sample the three D when I first got it. And I do remember thinking the effect was good, but
1: Yeah it, Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's got it's got really good three D. The the uh they do this occasionally, which is like, oh, we're going to try and make it look a bit more like the very simple illustrations we used to do, and that's fine, but, you know, they did Wind Waker, which just had so much, like, character in its art style. It was so alive. These just look like quite nondescript models. Just the textures are quite quite ugly. It's quite, uh, like... I, cause I remember when we were writing about this in the magazine the screenshots of this game are rotten and you basically every caption is like trust me in 3d this looks great <laughs> and it's kind of true but it looks it's it's really like barren and sparse and it doesn't really look like uh a link to the past like at all like that has such a distinct look and like flavor to it i was always kind of surprised at how wide that kind of gulf was but you know they're kind of I think it was very much like mechanics first, which fundamentally is what's good about this game. So, hmm. you know, can't, can't can't really knock it. But uh, yeah, so a, a link between worlds gets
0: it scrapes in. Yeah, that's interesting. That this is one of the ones I didn't read the World to Ask about because I thought, well, I know that Matthew is notoriously down on this game, so it won't make his top ten. Um, <laughs> therefore, I'm kind <laughs> no, of I've, uh,
1: I've, like I have I've I've warmed to it. I like replaying a bit of it. It's also got. Um, you can go into the bar and they play like acoustic versions of classic Link to the bar- Past songs, mm. and uh, those are those are amazing. Yeah,
0: that I do remember. So um, yeah, and I just, yeah, it's uh, yeah an interesting choice. I think that the graphics in this one have dated worse than probably all of the other handheld ones. Personally, um, as an eight-year-old yeah. game, but even at the time, I don't think it like looked dazzling. But uh, that's not to say it looks bad. That's just more of a compliment for how good the Game Boy Color, GBA, and um, DS games look. But Matthew, that's um, an interesting choice for a number ten. So why don't we go with your number nine? My well, number nine
1: is the Legend of Zelda: Oracle of Ages. Interesting. So is this the only Oracle game on your list? This is the only. Yeah, this is the better of the two Oracle games. Okay,
0: so I always heard that Seasons was people were rating Seasons to me because I think it has the like visual palette swap thing, right? And yeah, what does um what is the fundamental difference between the two Oracles games?
1: Yeah, so for people who don't know, these were actually conceived as a trio of games. The idea being that each one was going to be about a different different bit of the Triforce of power, courage, and wisdom. And the idea is is that Oracle of Ages is Triforce of Wisdom, and that means it's more puzzle-heavy. And Oracle of Seasons is the Triforce of Power, which means it's more combat-heavy than Ages. So that's a bit of a mechanical difference. The dungeons are much, much harder and more complicated in Oracle of Ages. They're a bit more traditional kind of action gauntlets in seasons, though there's still plenty of puzzles. And at the heart of them, they each have a big defining mechanic. In Oracle of Seasons, it's the ability to change between the four seasons, which changes the world map, and there are some obvious changes. So in the winter, a lake freezes over and you can walk across it and certain things will grow in the spring and this, that, and the other, where in ages is a much more traditional, like, uh time jump. Present day in the past. Oh, no, present day. No, present day in the future. So you can... There's a lot of, like, you do something here to kind of manipulate the landscape and much more, like, you know, you'd be familiar with as, like, kid, kid and adult Link in Ocarina of Time. I wouldn't say, like, either of those central mechanics is, like... Like seriously, like impressive or kind of complicated, you know, it they're, they're different enough to like warrant playing them both. And they've both got like completely different stories, objectives, dungeons, the works. They're two separate games. This isn't like a Pokemon Red Blue deal, it's you know, two games to play through, which is which is exciting. Really, really like the dungeons in this. I think this has uh, a lot more kind of sophisticated ideas that kind of come it feels more like links awakening it's not as good as links awakening but it borrows a lot more so it's a 2d zelda like linked to the past uh, but has like more kind of creative approaches to like the bosses a lot of the bosses have like more puzzle kind of based sort of solutions to them so that classic zelda thing of The item you find in the dungeon is the item that kind of proves the undoing of the boss. Now a massive cliche, at the time a bit more exciting. This is is the kind of time that idea is kind of taking shape and they're getting their head around it and experimenting with it. So it's kind of interesting from that perspective. I feel like both of these games are worth celebrating in that they're available now. Like you can download them on 3DS and I feel like a lot of people didn't play them because... I don't know how many people had a Game Boy Color. I feel like they're kind of slightly forgotten Zeldas. Like, I only played these when I was on official Nintendo and they re-released them on 3DS. And I was just like, wow, these really hold up. Like, these are great. Um, We reviewed it. Joe played Oracle of Seasons. I did Ages. And then we did this, like, sort of joint kind of conversation review where we were kind of comparing and contrasting our two experiences since played Seasons as well. But that that i just think they're they are almost as good as link's awakening which means that like really everyone should have played them <laughs> you know the idea that i think if there is a zelda you haven't played it's probably this one and there is no reason to ignore it like for me it was like oh shit there are some great zeldas for me to discover like how lucky am i which is kind of what i wanted to convey by putting them in in, in putting oracle of ages in the list
0: yeah, so I um, first of all, the, your little comparison feature thing with Joe makes me miss Nintendo magazines as a thing because that's yeah. a, that's a great. Th- I would love to read that. Um, yeah. I I bought both of these as soon as they landed on the 3ds. I've played I've played Seasons, but not Ages. I've played about four or five hours of Seasons, and I do think that one thing that was kind of like counting against it is it's a 2001 Game Boy Color game that is like late for a game boy game yeah so i think that's even after gold and silver launches in the us i think so it's really really late on and yeah i think that what's interesting about these games and there's another zelda game i'm sure will be on your list that we'll talk about is that in some ways they do feel like asset flip fan games they're like you know (laughs) they 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 take they literally take assets from Link's awakening and reuse them and like it, first of all that would be a great list feature like um, half-life opposing force and the zelda oracles games yeah. i'm sure there i'm sure there are others <laughs> like what are the best asset flip games um but it's funny when i was play i was playing this the other day just a little bit to kind of um come into this with some some thoughts and like the one of the first uh, characters you meet is one of the little boys who are in like the village in Link's Awakening, where they're like, right. um, "Yeah, I've heard that if you swing your sword, blah 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 blah." But don't ask me; I'm just a kid. And it's like, "Well, I, you disappeared at the end of Link's Awakening. I remember it. You like, you vanished <laughs> along with everyone else, and here you are in this game." <laughs> and I quite like how brazen that is. Obviously, this is these are Capcom developed games, right? They're not in-house Nintendo. Yeah. But um, what's really interesting is that um, Hide uh, Fujibayashi... Fuji Bayashi. I, I hope, yeah. Yeah, I hope I'm pronouncing his name properly. Yeah you know he makes oracle of seasons he makes four swords the minish cap and then he moves from capcom to nintendo and becomes you know basically the director for the two mainline zelda games that would follow skyward sword and breath of the Wild. so you know his journey with zelda begins here and that seems
1: enormously yeah, significant there is there is a 100 percent fujibayashi through line in his games and it is something that really resonates with me this is a guy he like you can tell he loves dungeons he fucking loves weird gadgets his games all have the best zelda items in them they are so playful skyward sword a game which is just puzzle 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 it is just it's like that is fujibayashi unchained you know (laughs) and I kind of, lo- and maybe I'm imposing that reading on this myself. And these teams are far too complicated for one person to dominate them like that. I just think it is too much of a coincidence that all the Zeldas he worked on, like they are the ones which introduce like wacky items. They have like big gimmicky dungeons they're super into that element of the game you know and he cuts his teeth in the 2d space he takes it to skyward sword like i I was when i was playing hd i was saying to Catherine, there's actually something about this that kind of reminds me of a handheld game and i can't put my finger on it it's like at the time i thought it was like the ds games in that it's a game built around a control scheme so specifically and it's so sort of Sort of small feeling in that it's these very dense areas. It doesn't have an overworld. You know, it almost feels like it's working within the tech limitations of a handheld game by not having a hyrule field to gallop across. And I just wonder if it's like that's just a total hangover of this is the guy who has only worked on handheld Z- Zelda's up until now. Of course, the theory goes to shit in that he then directs the open world game to end all open world games, which is just absurd I that just it does not fit with it a game which has pretty much no dungeons like I to I would love to pick that guy's mind for for half an hour and just say what is up with this like (laughs) I know you love dungeons you know like you cannot say you don't there's the evidence but yeah that is that is the great mystery of breath of the Wild. is like how did that guy make this game hmm Interesting stuff.
0: Yeah. Okay. Great. What an what an interesting pick. I um yeah. I wondered if uh, one of these might make your list. Um. Any other thoughts on this one, Matthew? Or should we move on?
1: No. Let's let let's let's power through them. All right. What's number eight? I'm going to sound like a broken record. It's the Legend of Zelda Minish Cap. Well. Okay. Well, we got another handheld Zelda here. So
0: um, obviously these games are very uh, the handheld ones are, are are very significant to you. So. um... Let's think, by process of elimination, like is, it, is every single handheld Zelda game on your list, apart from like the Game of Watch ones? And uh, uh, I guess Oracle of Seasons as well. No, there's there's
1: a couple of exceptions. Okay, interesting. Well, talk me through how, why this one made your list. Uh, this is, again, it's Zelda, which means it has some wacky items. It has, like, the gust jar. It has the... I think it's called the cane... I don't know how it's pronounced. The cane of patchy, P-A-C-C-I, which flips things over... They're very, very playful. It's got great, like, dungeon gimmicks, like rubbery mushrooms that fire you. It, the gimmick isn't just in the item, which is something I really like. It's very sort of playful in that sense. Well, I think the main thing is, like, this doesn't look like like any other handheld Zelda. This is, like, the, I've, I've read interviews with Fujibashi and Anuma about this, where they're, like, at the time, it's another Capcom one. And they set out with a mission to, like, Capcom Zelda up. They're like, what do we do that is better than anyone? Amazing sprite art. Like, we are going to blow Nintendo's mind with this sprite art. Like, stuff you've never seen before. And compared to the other 2D Zeldas, I think it does. You know, it's this astonishing-looking game. It obviously has the GBA to play with rather than the Game Boy Color. But it's got this big cartoony style this really playful mechanic where you can shrink right down to like a tiny little gnat and when you do you're suddenly like walking around kind of it's a bit honey has shrunk the kids you've suddenly got like giant props and you're walking around like huge blades of grass and floorboards look like canyons and it's really convincingly done with sprite work It's, it's very nicely done it's got this great bombastic Capcom energy to like the boss fights particularly which play with the um, the shrinking thing so there's I'm terrible Zelda, this is a side note Zelda bosses have like universally shit names, I can never remember any of them because they're all just like weird references to, th- you know that's a, that's a complete side note <laughs> um, it's got his boss with like, you sort of shoot him in his hands to sort of stun him, so a classic arrow uh, bow and arrow boss but then you shrink down and you run into his you run into his open mouth and you basically go into his head and start like wrecking his brain in there. It's like a platinum boss fight. It's really crazily done but it's got this, you know, for a handheld game, it's got this big scope to it. It's got a boss in the Cloud Cloud Temple dungeon. There's a, basically a, a, a level set up in the clouds where you're jumping between a lot of clouds. There's a lot of jumping in this game. It's quite Arcadian that way. But it's set on the back of like a giant stingray and this other stingray is attacking you. So you're having to dodge that. And it's got this mechanic where you can stand on this block and kind of clone Link. Um, I think it actually comes from one of the Four Swords games. Like if you were playing alone, you can make these like ghostly clone Links. And you have to basically clone a little army of Links to hit all these different weak spots at once. And it's just like crazy innovative like a real crowd pleaser adventure feels so much bigger than a handheld game i mean people are sometimes down on this cause it's quite short like you can kind of really power through it you know maybe like 10 hours or something but like the density of the ideas i think is really impressive i feel like of all the stuff they did with capcom this is the one where like they really bought a bit of their own dna to the mix and yeah, you know, it's it's uh a bit of a nightmare to play these days like i don't know if i don't think you can buy it maybe you can buy it on the wii u weirdly but they gave this away free uh to like 3ds owners remember everyone who bought it at launch then they dropped the price they gave us all like 10 game boy advance <laughs> games which they never released again on that platform
0: yeah i've i indeed own those and i i have oh. uh, yeah so i i bought a 3ds just before that cutoff <laughs> and right. so i got i've got that i've got Metro fusion i've got um wario land 4 like it's uh yeah yeah
1: i mean i you know annoying that they did the price cut but like a pretty sweet haul of games yeah I, I i think it's um it's lovely to turn on my 3ds and see all those on there
0: and you can you know even if you get a new 3ds you can still re-download them um it doesn't have all the functionality of a virtual console game so you kind of like the game you have to just turn off your 3DS when you're done playing it, as opposed to going into the menu like you can with um, <laughs> right playing like I don't know Earthbound or something on there.
1: So um, you I have find... to wait for the batteries to run out and for the console <laughs> to hard reset. <laughs> yeah, you're I'm like never... really Nintendo? <laughs> 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 this I... doesn't seem great. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, so I think that's why they never sold them because they thought, well, we've kind of hacked these into the work on the, thri- that on the 3DS. That is so dumb. It yeah. is
1: that is so dumb that you can't buy like all Game Boy Advance games because that is a That is a console generation that is just like, it's going to vanish super easily without that.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a really good argument to be made for the fact that these games, why are these games not on Nintendo Switch Online, but we're fucking waiting forever while they add loads of like really obscure SNES games that people don't give a shit about. And so, (laughs) you know, that's just my uh, very sort of like mainstream perspective (laughs) on it, I suppose. But um, I think what is interesting as well, Matthew, is that when you look at the Game Boy Advance era, Nintendo isn't making, like, loads of original stuff for the big series. So this is the only, like, full single-player Zelda game that releases on GBA, Yeah, right? Yeah, so... That in itself is significant, and it doesn't release any new Mario games, I believe, this generation, right? They are all uh, the SNES
1: ones. Yeah, like the Super Mario Brothers Advance, which are nice enough, but they're, yeah, it's not really what you want. Mm,
0: okay, so an interesting era for them. The, the sprite art for this is beautiful, actually. And um, I think it also illustrates, we'll talk about this later, but that um, people were acclimatising to the sort of Toon Link style very quickly, and we're, were, yeah. were really digging it by this
1: point. Yeah. So Yeah. yeah. Oh, it, it's a great game. It's yeah. really good. Um, again, like if you haven't played it, you're so lucky you just get to discover this like me- like this absolute gem.
0: Hmm. Yep, on your uh, Wii U controller, what a treat! Um, <laughs> on
1: that horrible Wii U screen, <laughs> I am never plugging in my Wii U ever again. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, good stuff. So, what's your number seven, Matthew? Uh, my number seven is the Legend of Zelda: Link's Awakening. Okay, can I lead on this one? Yeah, go for it, yeah. Yeah, sure.
0: So this is the game, I've completed this, completed this three times, I think. So I completed the original Game Boy 1, the Game Boy Color version when it was released on 3DS, and the uh, remake for the Switch that they did. Um, Whoa. I'm like 99% sure that the Game Boy Color one is the one to play. It's got, I think that, it it does look good what they did for the Switch but it's got some frame rate
1: problems. Oh and, boy, has it got some frame rate
0: problems. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Considering that Breath of the Wild runs pretty smoothly, it's kind of mystifying. But um obviously Grezzo did that sort of remake, but I think that the the sprite art for the Game Boy Color one, it is like system seller quality. I know it's just, yeah. you know, the same stuff but with like color on top of it. But, you know, yeah. obviously they add the new dungeon as well, the color dungeon. Um I love this because of the sort of strangeness of it. I think that as the Zelda game I kind of cover the most and know the the most it's quite odd to play some of the other series with this as my frame of reference because Mm. it's just such an outlier like obviously you are your wash up on this island there is a giant egg on top of this mountain and it's very (laughs) it's very strongly suggested that you are part of a dream world conjured up by this egg in fact there's literally like a poster you find that just tells you that in the game Um, which is quite funny way to kind of unravel its lore, but I think it does a really good job with its music and storytelling of creating a sense of mystery. There's obviously a spooky mm. owl, you know that's a kind of a common a common thing in Zelda games. But a spooky owl who kind of like an exposition owl who's like, oh, go over here and maybe you'll learn more about the windfish. And then there's <laughs> an, there's like a town that's just animals dancing and having a nice time. Um, <laughs> uh, it's just I, I really like the kind of dream like vibe of it. And um, yeah, like I say, for a Game Boy game, this was just so impressive. It was a an entire world packed into this car cartridge and just that wasn't so much the ethos of what you know major developers would do with the game with game boy games it was like you know a, a platformer's puzzle games a lot of the time so mm-hmm. something this detail was kind of um kind of unmatched so yeah, I adore this. I think the dungeon design is great. I think the way that yeah. it brings in the different um, tools is fantastic. I really like the way that the bosses link up with the different tools you get and the, and the fact that yeah, none of them are really just like batter the boss and hope for the best. All of them require you to combine your different tools to um, to beat them. I really love that. Some of these bosses I got stuck on for months at a time in a pre-internet age. <laughs> uh, yeah, I adore it, Matthew. So, um, yeah, why don't you tell yeah. me how you feel about it?
1: Yeah, I mean very similar relationship with, to this as you. i for a while i wondered if it was just nostalgia like because i had this this childhood connection to it i've been replaying um actually playing so i didn't play when it first came out the the switch links awakening and while i think you're right like i don't think the switch is the natural home like it's a it's a handheld game through and through and it's quite short for that money i would say on switch not to make it all just about that but it's yeah that like the, the the tone of it's it's really wild, I love the, the what they do with the overworld. I love the trading quest is you know obviously introduced here that becomes a bit of a Zelda staple, yeah, you're right about like the the use of items in dungeons, unlike links to the past, this is the game where the you know the item you get kind of changes what you can do in that dungeon and sort of unlocks its potential, and that becomes like that is just what Zelda dungeons are from that point on. a really important decision i I don't know why they didn't do it more in. In a link to the past, but we will never know. I mean, they did a lot of other stuff, mm. making about five thousand dungeons. I guess I am still to this day wigged out by that horrible snake boss in the first dungeon. The snake boss has been in several Zeldas. You know, you remember this guy, right? Yeah, with the weird eyes and they're like the, the weird eyes, circles. and you got to hit his tail. His movement is like... He's the most unholy character, I think, in all of video games. He's so unpredictable. like He doesn't follow any pattern. He's just a pure agent of chaos. He stressed me out when I was a kid. I was playing it the other day and I got to him. And I was like, oh, this guy. I used to be really stressed out by him as a kid. And then it stressed me out all again. (laughs) And they've used that boss in a few of them. But he's just so unknowable. He just zips all over the place. He looks like he's coming for you. And then he dodges out the way... Whoever programmed that is an is an absolute fucker. That thing is is a nightmare. But uh, yeah, that side this this I that's still good. It's characterful. Yeah, really fun game. They always uh, in their Water Us, It's come up a few times. They 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 say it was inspired by Twin Peaks. Do you remember this?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I read this too, and this comes back to the
1: <laughs> suspicious characters thing, right? Right. Yeah. So uh, I yeah. just it's it's odd because. Nintendo live in this sort of bubble where they don't really recognise anything outside of Nintendo. Like, whenever they ask Miyamoto like, what he's playing, he's like, Mario, really <laughs> literally. Um, which is quite funny and endearing. But it does mean that the only pop culture reference I think any Nintendo executive has ever made has been to Twin Peaks. Mm. I just like the idea that they were all watching it in Japan at the time, being equally freaked out as, like, everyone over here. And just that their their read on it was like, "Let's go and make this fucking bar in Zelda game, which has got always Mario Sprites in it, <laughs> and it's such a weird reaction to that show, probably the weirdest reaction to that show, yeah but yeah what, what, I mean it's just mad that David Lynch sort of has a hand somewhere in the in the, <laughs> in, the in the Zelda story, yeah. I suppose, like, the, the dreamlike nature of the game
0: generally sort of... Uh, there's a bit of commonality there, but I definitely think it comes down to these uh, this volley of absolute fucking oddballs you meet throughout the world. I mean, <laughs> yeah. what about, the like, the goat woman who's catfishing that guy and sends him, like, <laughs> photos of uh, herself, which are actually Princess Peach? And, like... Oh. That's like, I don't know if that's just in the Game Boy one, but that was, so the Game Boy Color one, but all that the, was really funny. Um,
1: all the stuff with like the weird telephone booths where you've got the tips and then you go to the house of so the guy who's giving them and he like refuses to talk to you because he's like this weird sort of shut in. Um, that's just games like, journalists on Twitter, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it gives it all the big talk on the phone. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he's all hot takes on the phone, and then you meet him in person. He's like, can't make eye contact. You know, it's not
1: really hot takes; just very, very literal. Like he's just like, he's like, go to the swamp with bombs, <laughs> which isn't isn't really a hot
0: take. But one of, one of the things I really loved in that it was asked about this was when um, they couldn't remember if they'd asked how laboratory for permission to use Kirby in the game. They were like, we think I think we asked them, but I'm not entirely sure because. I saw I, some of the, the imagery. I never really liked Twigged at the time that Mario was supposed to be Mario until much later. And it's like, oh, yeah, of course that's what that is. But he's just kind of like a sort of bumbling oddball who's just going in forests and like eating random shit and like kind of having a midlife crisis on that <laughs> island. Um, <laughs> I'm very fond of that character. But um, yeah, I have loads of affection for this game. I think it's wonderful. Yeah. and yeah. I, I, I still think if you've got a 3DS, you should play that game boy color version it's like four pound 79 or something it's no money at all and i think that yeah the switch one's good but 40 quid is a lot for that i agree um mm. i think that's like a die hard thing only i'm really pleased they made it some of the music they redid was amazing for that oh, Switch oh great
1: the mu- the, yeah yeah that's the thing with all of these i mean they could just do soundtrack releases of these old games with like orchestrations and i'd they'd sell like hot cakes yeah there's one really specific like arrangement they did there's a there's a one piece of music that only plays briefly
0: in the game it's before it's when you've woken up on the beach and before you get the sword there's a little bit of music that plays before you get the sword and that's like an amazing bit of music that is done so well in the um in the mm. switch version that i'm going to put in this um podcast so people know which um which one oh, I'm talking nice
1: about. that's good I and mean, it's yeah. great when you get the sword and it you know it suddenly gets all the zelda music kicks in and it's just like yeah we're going on an adventure uh, great sense of style I should yeah. maybe put this higher up in my list. <laughs> well, I think that um, because he, this is one of the few ones where I've
0: got like really strong opinions on it, I may be igniting your interest in it. Like, um, no, no,
1: than. it's it's no, it's you, you know everything's everything's right. It marks a sort of split in my list between 2D and 3D. Mm, okay, so maybe that's it.
0: Mm, interesting stuff. Well, then let's progress then, Matthew. So we're up to number six, is that right?
1: Yeah. Okay. Number six is The Legend of Zelda: Twilight Princess. So
0: my read on this at the time was that there was a backlash to Wind Waker that they felt fairly heavily within Nintendo not that they thought they did bad work but they did admit that it, it um it threw them off a little bit they were kind of it was hanging over them a bit. This looked from the outside from the outside looking in this seemed like a a return to something slightly more conventional looking but then obviously you have this um you know this wolf mechanic as well. So, um, do you read this as like quite a, a trad 3D Zelda game, Matthew, or, or do you think it's kind of yeah, underrated I mean, for what it for what it did in an innovation capacity?
1: The, the the cliche about this is it's kind of like Ocarina Redux. Like after Wind Waker, it's basically an Ocarina of Time remake in terms of the structure of the thing. The first three temples, then the kind of change, and then you get into the 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 the, the rest of the game. I think that's, it broadly, like, that if you if you laid the plans of the two over them, they broadly line up, but it's, it's still got loads of weird-ass ideas of its own. This is, what I love about this game is I think it has some astonishing dungeons. I think there is a run of dungeons in this, which is the Arbiter's Ground, Snow Peak Ruins, Temple of Time, and City in the Sky... I think they're four of the best dungeons they ever made. They come one after another. It is it is such an amazing like middle act of the game. It is so strong. It's like bang, bang, bang. Every single dungeon gives you like a really fun item or a fun twist on an old item. They use them in really good ways. The problem is, it feels like the items and the dungeons have ma- been made so closely together that out in the overworld a lot of the items don't really have much to do because they're so, like, bespoke for a specific mechanic. And it's the overworld and the kind of the overarching story of this game which kind of brings it down for me. It's, you know, (laughs) says the Skyward Sword fan. I found this one quite (laughs) plodding. The tone of it is, like, super bleak. The kind of Twilight Realm thing is just... It's kind of gloomy. It's not dark. It's not particularly dark as in, like, really unpleasant things happen. It's just... A really unhappy place to spend such a long time and you you know you could argue that a lot of you know ocarina of time you know once he's adult link it's all gone a bit bleak it's it's not like a barrel of laughs but this game is just like the palette of it is so brown it's so autumnal i think if this was winter this may be higher up in my list because i i hold that it's an amazing like christmas game (laughs) it's got this really like frosty kind of isolation to it. It's all about you, like, hunkering down in these quite kind of chilly, grim environments, and it, it really suits, you know, it really suits playing at that time of year. I and mean, this is... I famously played this when I was uh, flat-sitting uh, <laughs> with the rats with the explosive shit. Um, <laughs> so... It was, just, yeah, like, it is forever intertwined with that memory. <laughs> uh, I love that.
0: Of it. Imagine you've never listened to our podcast before. This is your first
1: episode. <laughs> and, oh, like, so- this famous anecdote where some rats do explosive shitting. And that's, like, they, all the They context. basically shat across the room while I was playing Twilight Princess, and I couldn't work out whether there was a rat on the loose because I was finding poos so far from their cage. And it turned out it was just projectile pooping. is the short version. So that's tied with this. I mean... It's a bit of an arbitrary Wii port, like the Wii Remote sword play and the the aiming the arrows and everything. I mean, this was made for GameCube. I've never actually played it on GameCube. I've only played the Wii version and the HD remake actually on on uh, Wii U. Yeah, it really just just comes down to dungeons. Why I love this one. I wanted to bring out Snow Peak Route. Have you have you played this one? Uh, so not really, to be honest. I've I've,
0: okay, I've briefly played it. Played both versions: the Wii version and the the Wii version. And I, I must admit. Uh, not to kind of put you uh, take you off guard here but i visually i didn't think it that either version looked particularly good and um it might just be because it was that pre-hd uh, combined is, with the color there palette
1: there is a bit of that i mean like that was less of a problem working on a on a nintendo map because like it's just what we had you know hmm. this is what the we can do this is like an amazingly ornate game like for it for the time and for what the we could do and for the fact they were working on like you know you know, designed for like a CRTV. It has like it really feels like Nintendo going all out. Like it's incredibly detailed. Um to the point of like there's almost a messiness to the to the image which which hasn't aged well. Um it hasn't got like as distinct an art style. It, it seems to be going more for realism. In fact the what i asked about this is a lot of chat about they really double down on like cute little touches it's basically a game of like a thousand tiny animation quirks that people might not notice but they kind of got a bit of mania about it it's kind of the the chopping the signs and then throwing the signs in the water and watching them floating kind of writ large like they really kind of they were really trying to ocarina of time it with this one they were going epic they were going like super reactive i just think they made a world which isn't like amazingly fun to spend time in between the dungeons but some of the dungeons are amazing Uh, i wanted to call out snowpeak ruins which is like a haunted house frozen ice level but haunted house with this like creepy ass yeti who you don't know if they have sinister intentions for you it's quite narrative heavy for a Zelda dungeon, you keep returning to this yeti and she keeps opening bits of this house up for you and it's her house something really sinister has happened in it it's spooky as hell but it's, it's got so much character to it you have the dungeon in the sky where you've got the jewel hook shots, so you're basically spider-manning it around. That ends with this amazing boss fight, which is basically a Shadow of the Colossus boss where you're getting onto the head of this flying thing to stab it in the head. The bosses in this game are absolutely astonishing. I think if, if the overworld and the stuff in between had been a bit jollier or a bit faster moving, I think this would be in the conversation for, like, the best Zelda ever. But it just... It it's like half of a good game, which really lets it down. But it'd be interesting because this is one of the ones is rumored for the HD remake will be released on Switch later in the year. Mm. I mean, it's, people have said basically, like reliable people have said, like this is one hundred percent happening. So yeah. I cut, you know, it sounds like they're going to bundle it with Wind Waker. You would think. Would be the obvious thing to do, and certainly that 's that you know if they do do that that h d one is is the way to play it because it does sort of sharpen it up and bring a lot more of it kind of you know into perspective but it is uh it is a slog the wolf link stuff i I never found very fun like it just it isn 't a the, you know that is the kind of dual world mechanic kind of link and wolf link but it it's it 's a little bit repetitive it doesn 't really go anywhere but you know, all the exact accusations people will point at Skyward Sword that I'm that I would dismiss. So
0: <laughs> So um one of the things I noted from that from the Iwata Rs on this one is that uh, okay, first of all, there was a big decision to delay the game by a year, right? Where the kind of one of the sort of conditions of that was that they had to implement motion controls to make the game work on mm. the Wii because they knew that was coming. The other thing was that when we talk about what is the kind of influence of Miyamoto on later Zelda games, I believe one of his stipulations for this was I don't want there to be a whole game where the camera is behind, like a dog, like a wolf, uh, like a four-legged <laughs> character. So that's why there's just like a, like a little dude on top of the wolf, and that's kind of like the Miyamoto contrib- one of the contributions to this game is that basically, like, there has to be a f- has to be a full character and not just you're behind a wolf for hours and yeah. hours. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, and Midna is a good character. She's got she's got like a, like an impish sense of style. She's one of the better companions, you know. This is an area where these games have have flubbed it. I mean, Minish Cap famously has the talking hat, which gets in the way a lot. That's a Fujibashi special. He obviously <laughs> then gives us the talking sword, which gets away a lot in Skyward Sword. That's another of his tropes. <laughs> um, he didn't have anything to do with Twilight Princess, which maybe explains why Midna's a bit more agreeable. Uh, <laughs> we named one of our cats after her.
0: Right, right, yes, of course. I apologise for not bringing much knowledge to this one, but um,
1: uh, I- no, no, it's no, it's 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 a. Uh this is one which when I was making the list it pinged up and down sometimes I think this you know because I really rate the dungeons and I love they're they're a big part of why I love Zelda and for me they are marvellous so Mm. yeah
0: well I do own the Wii U version of this this is a super late Wii U release if I remember as well so um yeah yeah, and uh, yeah, it sort of it definitely doesn't feel as kind of like polished as the um, Wind Waker one was that they did in terms of. No, it's, it's
1: more of a sh- sharpening rather than a complete do over.
0: Mm, okay, interesting. So yeah, keep an eye out for that um, HD version mm. coming to um, Switch, hopefully later in the year. So yeah. we're up to your number five, Matthew.
1: Yes, this is The Legend of Zelda:
0: Ocarina of Time. Hmm. Yep. So I have played this one for about ten hours um, on two different formats. So um, obviously, <laughs> you know this i think a lot of people would have this at 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 number one i guess traditional zelda fans but um what's your Uh, read on this one
1: yeah for me this is like this is the star wars a new hope of zelda games in that it's the important one it like invents everything it does everything right but it's also now a little safe You've, you've seen it one too many times you know all the bits you're like tick 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 yes 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 very good it's a game that's probably more important than it is brilliant to play i think this is the thing i was saying about the danger of going back with zelda is because it's one of the only nintendo games which one of the only nintendo series which i think maybe in being an open world adventure is kind of competing with like other open world adventures outside of Nintendo. There's there's not a lot of Nintendo games that do have to compete with anything because no one is in that space. But this one, like other people do have expectations. I think the genre of open world games and organic living worlds has moved on. I think it moves on quite fast and they are harder to come back to. They they do not hold up as well. And one of the you know, they made this 3D S remake which is beautifully made, but the big danger of that is it does put it into a rather stark light, like how old this game now feels. I was never completely sold that 3DS was the natural home of this. This was a game about epic scale, crushing it down on a tiny little screen, can only dent that, even though it looks sharper and plays better. That was always going to be a problem with this game. You know, this was the game that invented the cliche of like, You're in this world. If you can see there, you can go anywhere. You know, this was the game that blew everyone's minds. Now, when you go in, it feels like a Hyrule field. Feels quite threadbare. It feels like what it is—a hub. It's a big field with six spokes, goes off to different dungeons. Feels like a very artificial game space, which I found quite shocking when I played the 3DS one. I was like, "Wow!" You know, obviously, you know, it was the first game to do anything like this. So you didn't think about it in those terms, but if you have played any other open world games you can't help but see the limitations of it now which isn't its fault it's still a mate like the dungeons are great the boss designs are great for a game to basically invent the rules of a lot of 3d action adventures and to invent them perfectly with the first uh, first attempt i mean that's astonishing what an astonishing thing like you, you can't knock it for that You know, and it is still kind of weird around the edges in a way that I respect. I like that there are, like, quite weird characters and jaunty little tunes and weird side quests. It's still a game with, like, mysteries buried deep. It doesn't serve everything up on a platter like those Wii and DS Zelda games. It's still, you know, I remember reading stuff about this in N64, you know, months after it came out and being like, wow, you know, did you know you can do this? And you were like, how did anyone ever work that out? You know, it's still a game which like hasn't been like you know if you kind of went in blind it it can still really surprise you it has got a a lot of kind of depth to it but it's just uh it's got the impossible task of being like the first the first living world you know all those years ago i mean tough gig
0: yeah absolutely i mean this was you know this is 1998 we are talking about the (laughs) earliest days of 3d games like um you know, one of the, you know, the earliest 3D games is like Shadows of the Empire on N64. And mm. it like has nothing figured out about how to shoot, how to jump, how to really do anything. It's like a very clumsy Star Wars game that I quite enjoy. Um, you go for, you, know, you go forward in time only two years and you get this. I think what's interesting is that this kind of solves so many of the rules of how you do this so that other developers don't have to. Mm. And that's its kind of like, that's its significance. And um, To share my memory of this game Matthew like I I, like I mentioned earlier a friend of mine had this and basically like gave me a sort of guided tour of it and I remember world around him changing and Link becoming an adult and that seeming like amazing just dazzling in a way where it was like I have to play this game Mm. and that was like you know that's a twenty. three year old memory now and I remember it so clearly just what it was like and right that what that transition was like, that transition between the dual worlds. And I, I just I can't imagine what an impact this must have had to people playing it at
1: the time. Just like yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Weirdly I I was quite <laughs> I remember immediately quite cool on this because I shared the N sixty four with my brother Alex and we both got a game for christmas he got ocarina of time i got i can't actually remember what i got but i saw like him playing his ocarina basically every minute he was playing ocarina of time was a minute i wasn't playing my thing so i kind of took a rather contrarian like screw ocarina of time stance for a while you know it took me quite a while to get on board with this <laughs> so that's how stupid an idiot i was when i was a kid is that because like, the cre- <laughs> what was your game was it the Xena of the warrior uh, princess no i think it was I think it was of all things, Pilot Wing '64, <laughs> which is great, but it's not like it's not Ocarina, is it? Oh dear, yeah, that's um, that's a tough comparison. Um, also,
0: <laughs> I like the idea that like your Chris- did your Christmas list have that on there? And
1: no, no, I I don't know why I wasn't interested. It's a period of time I can't really remember like what was going through my head and what motivated my feel. I think because like you know, I was super into like Goldeneye and stuff. I don't know if I saw it as being like a little kind of like kiddy ish or on paper the kind of the idea of it didn't really click with me you know i'm not i can't put my hand up and say like i'm this super like zelda early adopter it you know it took me it was probably like only really like like wind waker that i become like a mega mega fan and i'm super invested in like whatever happens next whatever Mm. they do next but obviously i've played all these things since then and gone back and everything and it's yeah a weird one ocarina brilliant but kind of almost boringly so can you remember the moment that it did capture
0: your imagination that your your opinion on it changed
1: like i say it 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 probably is wind waker it's it's probably watching like a free video that came with like ngc of like their e3 trailers it was like the best of nintendo and watching this footage of something and it getting to the wind waker bit and thinking wait a second that isn't that can't be a game that, nothing looks like that, nothing, like, that's, that's like a cartoon, that's, like, genuinely being so excited and just rewinding this thing over and over again to rewatch it and thinking that, that is, I've never seen anything like that, and then buying that, you know, I think Wind Waker was the first Zelda I bought with my own money, which obviously is a bit more meaningful, and then having it and it being as spectacular as it was, like, visually, it was so, like, <gasps> Just couldn't believe it mm. that's 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 where the series like really gets its hooks into me though that like i say that link to the past dark world revelation that's in there too As like a oh my god what a thing mm.
0: with the mysterious boys across the river
1: yeah um <laughs> when we've um we're planning on doing a best
0: n64 games episode in september right possibly with someone from the um, n64 magazine lineage so we uh, mm. i'm sure we'll revisit this down the line but um that's an interesting observation about it being sort of like, yeah, like almost boringly safe. I think that I had the same frustration playing the 3DS version. Like, the gyroscope aiming stuff they added was just terrible. Better <laughs> was like the bump in frame rate. I think it runs at 30 frames on there. And yeah. um, it does have nicer textures and doesn't have the blur of playing the N64 one. That's obviously like yeah. a kind of scourge of a lot of N64 games. Y-
1: You can map the iron boots to a touchscreen button, which means you can take them on and off in-game without going into the menu, which is like the the mechanic at the heart of the water temple where you have to sink to the bottom by putting on the iron boots and then float up by taking them off. You have to do it so often that just the the constant menu malarkey in the original one killed that temple dead. But when you don't have that stuff, like when you can just play it it as it's meant to be played... You appreciate it for this, like that. That, you know, people haven't played it. It's this mad 3D spatial puzzle where you're raising water, raising and um, lowering water levels to reach different bits of this temple. And you basically have to retain this idea of this sort of 3D model of this dungeon in your head to solve it. It's like a huge navigation puzzle. That's an AJ Numa special, he designed that. It's, like, shorthand for, like, fucking horrible dungeon. Like, grr, grr, water, temple. But when I played it on the 3DS, I was actually thinking, actually, this is, like, this is a pretty spectacular challenge. Like, to to have kind of single-handedly invented 3D action adventuring and to do something so crazy ambitious with one of those dungeons is kind of wild, um, like, how much they got right. So, mm. AJ Numa, a genius for life. A narrative that
0: got stuck in my head after listening to the podcast Retronauts, actually, was the idea that the N64 era for Nintendo, like uh, Mario 64 and Ocarina of Time become so all-encompassing for Nintendo that it's almost like it pulls so much of their attention just to getting those two games to be masterpieces that that basically kind of hurts the software library overall compared to the PlayStation, which is just obviously rife with, like, you know, um, great third-party games. But so much of what Nintendo was at the time was just sank into making these games right, and um, that but defined the to. narrative of the console. You think so?
1: They, they had to walk so everyone else could run. They invented the genres. <laughs> mm, yeah, like, I, like, they did it. <laughs> yeah, I think I met, I met
0: when I read an interview with one of the houses. They talked about how the 3D GTA's just owe a lot to um, to these games. I mean, everyone does, right? I mean, it just, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I actually I was, I was listening to a podcast the other day where someone was saying that technically Mega Man legends was doing similar 3d action adventure stuff before ocarina of time but i haven't played that game so i have absolutely no idea if that's true or not but it sounded like a bit of a contrarian hot take because if someone really had done this better you think we'd be talking about it
0: yeah so i think um one of the other things i remember from the Iwatara's for this one matthew was something about how like uh, like the, I think it was maybe the Zedlock system was inspired by like a visit to a theme park. Um, yeah, yeah. I thought that was quite interesting. I felt like yeah, they, they went get... to
1: like a mar- basically like a martial arts demonstration at like a basic like a Universal Studios type thing um, for is it Toei Films? Yeah, that's right. And yeah. they saw, but the funny thing was the two blokes who won't both had completely different reads on how it inspired it because one guy was like oh, we went to watch it and at one point they sort of flung a chain at the warrior and he grabbed onto it with his hand and was circling around it and I thought oh yeah, the Z targeting will kind of tether you to someone like that movement and then the other guy was like, no, no, no it was because he was surrounded and they took turns fighting him, so we decided that the Z trigger would basically inform, tell an enemy it was okay to attack, because that was the enemy you were focused on, to kind of create that sense of a duel, and I love the idea that they both went to the same thing, but they had <laughs> completely different anecdotes
0: <laughs> yeah i thought that was a great explainer of how the ai worked actually i found that instead of just having all these enemies hit you at once that was um
1: yeah that's
0: a great water us actually the, I, uh...
1: the, 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 the other anecdote i really like in it is the guy who invented the fishing minigame is like this programmer who's just obsessed with fishing yeah. not his job to invent content at all and he basically he makes it work in a he prototypes it in what What's the boss room from the water temple where you fight Morpha, which is just like a pool of water in the middle of a room? And he had a fish asset, so he put it in there and then he kind of bodged together and he started playing this like fishing game on his own time in the boss room. Everyone was like, came around and was like, wow, it looks amazing. So they basically then just carved a door into the side of Hyrule Field, because it is literally just a door, uh, like by Lake Hylia, rather. You just go through this door, and then there's like this amazing fishing mini game, which people wasted like tens of hours on. And it's just because this like random bloke was like, Oh, I wanted to go fishing. <laughs> I think uh, there's
0: another good story in there as well. I think about how, um, when they realized they would have to do both, um, you know, young link and old link, that the animation guy was like kind of a cold sweat. My workload just suddenly doubled. How the fuck am I going to do <laughs> yeah. this? um that was quite a good story as well um
1: yeah oh, they're I they those those are like what an absolute tre- tre- treasure trove yeah I mean between those and like the GDC video vault that's like all the game design education you need
0: <laughs> yeah I really loved it and I think the half-remembered nature of it makes them more endearing and um and I, I cannot <laughs> under-emphasize enough just how much the word laughs in brackets is doing the heavy lifting <laughs> on these things um yeah, they're wonderful. I'm glad they're all still up, and they pro- hopefully they will yeah. be forever, because they're an amazing resource. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, so what's your number five, Matthew? Uh, number four. Number four, wow, okay, sorry, yeah. Skyward Sword. Okay, well, then we covered it a bit earlier in the episode. Is there anything kind of new you wanted to add on, on it, Matthew?
1: No, I, I, I simply flag this as, I'm a dungeon puzzle boy. This is the dungeon puzzle Zelda. I like the motion controls. I think it's a very romantic Zelda too. I think it's got this... Zelda is more of a character, like there is more focus on story and it it does work, you know, it's about the founding of Hyrule, it's the first Zelda, so it has this sort of like, slight charge to it that you're exploring this stuff for the first time, except you go down there and there's always like fucking Gorons walking around who are like, alright, and you're like, it doesn't feel like, you know, undiscovered country. They're not like, holy shit, it's a human, you know, they're just like, oh, alright, cheers mate. Also, there's a bloke up in Skyloft, which is like the cloud area where you live who's got loads of stuff that could have only have come down from beneath the clouds. So, like, it's bullshit that you're, like, the first person to ever go down there as well. But that's, uh, you know, that's, that's picking nits. Okay, yeah, fair enough.
0: Um, yeah, so <laughs> there's more questions I want to ask you about dungeons, but I feel like we should talk about that when we get to what I assume is going to be your number one. So, um, yeah. Um, is there anything else from the Iwataras that you drew with from this one, Matthew, that you want to kind of discuss? I sort of, uh, I must admit, like, I- they.
1: Yeah. <laughs> again they just sort of that they keep coming to this word of like density like the controls were definitely a hurdle like they set out right we're going to make it about motion plus that that defines a lot of the game like it is going to be about the controls but then they just go mad with like mechanics and wanting to cram puzzles in everywhere which is why you know i think the word i used in my guardian review is that the 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 overworld sections they feel too composed like, it feels hand-designed. None of it feels like... It doesn't feel like there's any mystery to discover in this world. It wants you to see every bit of how clever it's been. And that is, the that is like... It's kind of what's brilliant about it. It's also kind of what's terrible about it, depending on what you want from a Zelda. Mm,
0: okay, great stuff. Well, I feel like I know what your top three are going to be, but um, why do you hit me with your number three?
1: My number three is The Legend of Zelda Majora's
0: Mask. The iwataras for this one is so fucking good. Um <laughs> I read the whole thing last night
1: we should be we should call this episode the 10 best zelda
0: isn't this what like oh, some youtube channels are just this aren't they like people just reading out yeah. the water us and there being are like, a lot
1: of people who take youtube yeah taking these water and have basically launched a semi-academic career <laughs> off the back of it but listen we won't go into that <laughs> yeah exactly we'll save that for the um patreon only um yeah uh, the yeah. patreon the, the bitching hour the libel cast yeah
0: yeah so i it's such a good why don't you talk a bit about the game first then we'll kind of circle back to that
1: yeah so this is famously the zelda which it comes after ocarina of time made in record time it's basically a like at the time you might have called it like like a dlc or an expansion in that it kind of takes the ideas of that and just builds on it they turned it around super fast it's sort of asset flip makes it sound lazy but it takes a lot of the assets from that game kind of remixes them which gives it this sense of like a fever dream a bit like link's awakening it's got very similar energy of like I've seen all this stuff recently, but everyone's behaving differently and everyone serves a different role. And it and it definitely plays on plays on that energy. Um, interestingly, it's pitched as like a continuation. Like they, they, they expect people who've played or to play, who play this game have played Ocarina of Time. So it goes in quite hard and quite weird from the outset which isn't very modern Nintendo at all. They would, like, never do that. But this is basically like... they, You know, the difficulty curve basically picks up where Ocarina ends. You know, it goes in, it throws it at the deep end. It's quite confusing. The moon is about to hit this, this town and destroy the world. And it's going to do this in three days. You are trapped in a time loop and have to learn to navigate this time loop and manipulate it in order to find a solution to this moon problem. This time pressure... I mean, it's big. It's, It's pretty extreme. I remember, like, when I was younger playing this, or playing my brother's copy, because, again, he was the Zelda vanguard with this, thinking, too stressful, too difficult, like, not my bag at all. This would have been much lower down my list. This may not even have appeared on my list had I not... Uh, very recently played the 3DS version so I thought you know what I should I should refresh my memory of it and this game's an absolute banger it is so weird it is so strange it plays unlike any other Zelda but it's built from 100% familiar parts it, that is what an interesting approach to your ideas that they like invent this genre and then do something so crazy in that space so soon after it's kind of wild to me Also makes me feel sad that they didn't do it again, you know, that they didn't, you know, having put all this work into Wind Waker, Twilight Princess, Skyward Sword, Breath of the Wild, they didn't ever try this mad campaign within this world that we've already established kind of model. I sort of hoped they were going to do that with Breath of the Wild DLC, but that was a bit of a bust, I thought. Yeah, Um,
0: I wonder if that's because um, so many of these games land quite late in the life cycle of the consoles, whereas... Ocarina of Time landed sort of in the middle of the N64 yeah. lifespan. I don't know. It's um... yeah,
1: that, I mean, that yeah. I mean, time wise, yeah. And when they've spent like five years on it, they're like, we can't really waste, you know, a year, two years, pissing about. We've got to get on with the next of these things. <laughs> it's just, it's really, really strange. If it, it feels like a sort of a like an Ocarina deep cut, you know, at a time where Dust Ocarina hadn't really had time to establish itself, which is such a sort of ballsy move. Um, only got like four dungeons arguably the main dungeons there are other dungeon like areas and what you do in between them is a bit more quirky and puzzle filled as well but uh, they're all absolute winners built around these sort of transformations that you do into a zora a deku shrub and a goron that kind of unlocks a a set of powers associated with those sort of races i mean it's just it's, it's like the most experimental zelda ever and they never, ever did anything like it again, which is mad.
0: I, something I really liked in the iwata about this is that they described Ocarina of Time as like hospitality, and then they described right. this as like a challenge. Yeah. So it was like you say, they did design it. So, okay, we are assuming that you have finished Ocarina of Time and that you're ready for this. Something else I thought was interesting is I think that obviously it's a three-day cycle, I believe um, Aeonima came up with ideas for a whole week of like a time loop thing and then basically had to compress the game. And that's why I think um, Miwata observes this is why the game feels so packed with ideas and like interesting stuff is because originally Aeonima was going to do a week long time loop, but then it would break people's brains basically.
1: A a week would have been too long because, you know, there comes a point in this game where there is a lot of like waiting for stuff to happen and fast forwarding time with like songs and things. That's. Like, it would strain to fill a week, I think.
0: Yeah, for sure. It was some. Um, it's it's interesting as well that it was meant to be made in a year. Like, um, I think he mm. started... Didn't he start just messing around with dungeons, possibly for, like, the Master Quest ver- a version of Ocarina well, of Time? Or? He,
1: yeah, and he sort of tells us he gets set to make the Master Quest, which is like a remix of Ocarina of Time, and he's basically like, oh, I can't be fucked with this. <laughs> you know, like, I'd rather be making actual new interesting stuff. So he sort of does that and then goes to Miyamoto with those bits and says... Yeah, why don't we? Um, why don't we make this like spin off? And he's like, oh, go on then." But you can only have a year. <laughs> and then later on says, "You can have
0: longer than a year." But um, <laughs> yeah. by that point, it sounds like A and M has driven himself slightly mad just trying to get this thing done.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're all like, "We would never ever go back to that time." This is the one, <laughs> I yeah. think but he's like there's something haunted about his words <laughs> yeah there was
0: also that thing where I think he I think it might be one of the other ones but he says well I was younger then, than I am now and that like told yeah. the whole story of like yeah I mean you know I was in my 20s or late 20s or early 30s this, or whatever
1: this has got to, to to go back to my my earlier metaphor this has got big Aenuma has just been given he's got a normal issue to do and a bookazine. <laughs>
0: yeah he's me in 2015 yeah um yeah <laughs> he's that, got pc gamer show to organize as and, well <laughs> and he's got to redesign the magazine and the bookazine scene <laughs> at the same time yeah um yeah i, I really love the insights for this one i thought it sounded great i must confess yeah, it's, though it's a game i've never played matthew i am um, i should complete ocarina it's time great this.
1: it's this because it is a smaller weirder game it actually doesn't suffer from that thing that's talking about with ocarina on 3ds where it loses its epic scale. Like it does have some bigger open areas, but they're generally much more smaller and ornate. So for me like the 3DS version of this it's a better fit than uh, Ocarina on 3DS. Like you don't lose the kind of well wow factor cuz it didn't sort of have it to begin with. It's kind of a weird little thing and Like, the time element like that you can kind of dip into it and kind of chip away at a few of its mysteries makes it actually quite a nice handheld game. So, yeah, the 3DS version of this, I do recommend. Okay, great stuff. I feel
0: like um, the reputation of this game has only gone up over time as well, maybe in a way that none of the other Zelda games have.
1: Like, it's just... Yeah. uh... At times, I, I wondered if it was a bit of a, like sort of contrarian's favourite. Hmm. You know, it's it says more about you than anything. It's like, well I you know, I like Madra's mask. I like the weird one. I like his earlier, weirder work. Hmm. Um but it, it is it is great. You know, maybe it's great because they never did anything else like this. You know, maybe this is something this is an idea they could have also like run into the ground, but hmm. obviously not, though. If they want to do Majora's mask style Development going forward, I would definitely welcome it. More Zelda on a sh- on a quicker time frame can only be a good thing for me. Mm, okay, yeah. not for them, not for their mental health. But <laughs> for for my greed,
0: definitely. Well, for a little while, I thought that's what Breath of the Wild Two was going to be because yeah. you know, because they
1: announced it, you know, what two years ago I mean, now. Yeah, and the stuff they've shown of it has like a weird vibe. It's mm. all like dark and purple energy, and there's like a zombie grabbing him, and it's a little bit scary. Like Majora's Mask is. Uh, you know if a zelda game is scary is this one
0: <laughs> yeah this is arguably a type of game that is created here as well obviously it's kind of like the roguelite thing it's kind of like runs sort of parallel to this but uh you know obviously um outer wilds is very inspired by this
1: yeah right? and this is like i mean really i mean borrows a lot of tricks from this that that game again for a first time it just gets so much right wizard wizarding stuff oh, okay great stuff matthew so what's your number two my number two is The Legend of Zelda: The Wind Waker.
0: Okay, so like you say, you're you know young Matthew is reading NGC. He gets a, yeah. co- a cover-mounted DVD that maybe the sellotape rips part of the cover off. Who knows? Um, <laughs> and um, you put this in, you watch this, and you know this was the first time I remember. Well, no, that's not true. Riding the Metal Gear Solid Two is the first time I remember the internet losing its shit in gaming. But this is one of the first times where there was a massive backlash, the look of a game. So talk me through how you felt about it at the time. So,
1: honestly, this backlash, I know it existed. I never saw it. I never felt it. Because everyone I knew who was into Zelda, when they saw this, they were like, holy shit, that is the most beautiful-looking game ever made. And it remains one of the most beautiful-looking games ever made. If you had a problem with it, I simply couldn't comprehend... (laughs) The, the type of person who would have been upset about this. Like, I, I just didn't have that attachment to that early, gritty tech demo that everyone seemed to be so attached to. So if this played out on the internet, then it was pre-me being on the internet much, I guess. Because I feel like I was pretty insulated from this. You know, NGC was super pumped for this game. They really liked it and they celebrated it. And that's kind of how I felt about it. And I, I've always felt a bit fake talking about the backlash not to like do your question down or anything but did you see this manifesting more well if i'm being honest it, it feels like
0: something it was maybe it was just a narrative that was told to me by magazines like um <laughs> you know maybe this maybe i didn't experience this firsthand i, I don't actually remember anyone i know, in it, ex- person.
1: It, I know it came from somewhere because i know it exists but like yeah it's this backlash which i actually have no evidence of
0: <laughs> yeah it's so obviously this game has this um cell shaded style And, you know, radically different for the time. One of the things I really like in the Iwataras on this is that they had to start thinking of the animations, the characters, the facial expressions in a completely different way. You couldn't do realistic facial expressions with this art style and it makes sense, but you could do loads of like quite weird and wild expressions that would look amazing in that art style. And I think you can really tell that from how, like, Link's expressions in this game are just wonderful. And this game looks astonishing for something that's almost 20 years old. Like, it's just unbelievable. Um, Not that you should do this, but, you know, uh, emulated, uh, like, full HD. The original version of this still looks amazing. Slight different in the colour palette with the Wii U one. But, um, Mm. yeah, go on, on, Matthew, talk about it some more.
1: Yeah, I mean... To me, this looks like the Zelda that should play on a tiny purple box that the GameCube was. Yeah. This looks like the Zelda that should come out of that machine. It's just... It's 100% like the definitive GameCube game in my head for for just the vibe of that machine. Like, the the look of the game and the look of the controller are kind of match. It's got, like, weird buttons. It's kind of cartoonish and fun. Everything about this is in sync. It's uh, That's why the Backlash stuff still surprises me, because it's so... It so belongs, and it belonged instantly. I think it kind of does everything right. I think this, this is the, the, uh, really the only Zelda, even more so than my number one pick, I would say, that gives me everything I want from a Zelda game. It's got the dungeons. It's got the items. It's got big characters done in this amazing cel-shaded style. It has the ocean, and the sense of exploration for me is... That's such a key part, you know, that's the other half of the of the Zelda coin, is, is these very ornate puzzle dungeons and a sense of discovery, and for me, sailing towards these tiny blips on the horizon, getting there, even if it was just a rock with like a little choo-choo on there and you just chopped its head off and it got back in your boat, I didn't care because I felt like I was discovering rocks and discovering things, this sense that I was I was really uncovering this world, and then it kind of existed, and there was something out there. Is was so potent that I didn't care if like most of the ocean was empty, or it took ages to get there, or you had to keep kind of conducting the wind to fill your wind with your sail with winds and change direction. None of that mattered because that sense of like I'm going to go there, I'm going to find something. Like when you got that little island, uh, there's like a little kind of hidden paradise, uh, their private oasis think it's called which is like your island i felt like i actually owned something in this world i was like oh my god this is my island and it's just like an island with a house on it it's not not too not too exciting but this this that place seems so alive to me that actually even that like really really mattered and that's that's the feeling of breath of the wild also like that is the magic of breath of the wild but it for me this 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 here is like Way more convincing than Ocarina's High Roll, Twilight Princess High Roll. Like this, this was the place that you know. Its few cinematic moments that it does have, going down to the kind of the the, the sort of sunken High Roll in that castle where there's the big frozen battle. Couldn't believe it. I thought, oh, the, that is the most exciting thing I'd ever seen. Up to that, that final battle with Gandalf, probably one of the best. You know, not technically maybe the most exciting, but like. Just one of the most satisfying, like, death blows in all of gaming when you drive that sword into his head. It's absolutely magic. You know, the, the problem with this, and the reason it isn't my number one, is that it, it just does feel like half a game to me. Like, it's well known that this was meant to have more dungeons than it did. It's, it's very, very light on that stuff, and it, it does suffer for it. It has this long stretch where you collect all the Triforce charts, which, even for someone like me who loved that ocean... I you know thought was kind of taking the piss a bit, and even though they sped it up in the HD remake, it's still a it's still filler for something that's missing. And I you know I feel like you know, maybe it's crude and clumsy to say like if it had more, I'd like it more. I want more, more, more. But like for me, this is like four, like if it had another four dungeons, if it had the scale of a Ocarina or a Twilight Princess, I think this could this this might actually be my favourite Zelda of all time i feel like
0: they own this in the iwata asks as well they're like yeah uh, the players consider the first half to be divine i think is the word they use and then it sort of trails off and there's the um obviously like yeah the the content sort of runs out Uh, i mean of of all the games on your list matthew this is the one where i would love to see what a direct sequel looks like i definitely think there's an argument to be made that the um the way the world is laid out in breath of the world owes something to this there's definitely something in that but um Hmm i would love to just see the the actual sailing element of it and the very sort of like the very unique idea of discovering an island in a world and not knowing what's Mm. there like that feeling that is very specific to this game i do think is something that's got more potential and it's um yeah that's
1: pure that's like pure adventure isn't it like oh this is it i'm here i sailed to this place i stopped my boat i jumped out of my boat it's all seamless i can jump onto the island Oh, it's just what a what a magic thing!
0: Yeah, for sure. So, Matthew, this is a really granular question, but um, do you have a preference in colour palette between the original and the um, the slightly changed? They did make a change to the colour palette in the way you want. Do you have a preference?
1: Slightly, well, they, 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 it's got different lighting effects. I I actually I think I prefer the look of the the remake. Hmm, it is lovely. Um, it, and I think it's just the convenience of like playing that, and it's like you know nice and widescreen and beautiful um my biggest complaint with the remake is that they didn't fully orchestrate that amazing music because the tunes in this game are banging but they're like honking little midi things they don't sound quite right and when you've heard like the zelda orchestra concerts play the wind waker suite you're like why the fuck doesn't the game sound like that that is amazing it's so like folksy and big and grand it's it's one of the best Zelda soundtracks, but I, I cannot listen to the original GameCube soundtrack because it's just... It's too bleepy-bloopy and, I don't know, it's just not quite right.
0: Yeah, I guess, like, it feels to me like it's a real tragedy that this is not on Switch already, that it's taken this many years for them to not get yeah. it on there. Because uh, the Nintendo did treat it like a, a full new release at the time. I remember them making a big push for it um, the same time this came out. I think they, they kind of pushed this and A Link Between Worlds at the same time, I remember, because... I think, yeah. like, I think we did a cover on
1: it against TM. I but, mean, um, the, yeah, their their sort of um their their sort of messaging at the time was like this this was the thing they did to kind of cut their teeth on like next generation graphics for Breath of the Wild. Mm. They were like to get our head around like new lighting systems and all this kind of stuff. We thought we'd remake it, and this is what it looks like, you know. So they they always sort of sold it as a a stepping stone to something else. I find Nintendo's re-release and repackaging of things and their, the pricing around them it's a, you know it's a bit tedious to get into but it it is it's sometimes a little steep how they kind of gouge us on this stuff you know we're like loyal fans and the you know this this game has paid for itself several times over <laughs> at this point and I know they have put a lot of work into it but equal amount of work goes into other ports which are much cheaper but you know maybe that's a maybe that's a discussion for another time you know, this is fundamentally a, a a good a good thing that it re-exists. This, this is, of all the Zeldas that got re-released, this is the only one when I went back and replayed it for review, it didn't diminish in my eyes, which has been like a bit of a theme, you know, through this list, is actually that playing these games later, you go, oh, yikes, this has been surpassed. And this one is just so singular that it's... and and timeless in its graphics... But I don't think it will, you know, I don't really see that it will ever truly age. I think it will always sort of be perfect.
0: Mm, Okay, fantastic. Well, on that note then, Matthew, that's a perfect time to move on to your number one. So um, go for it.
1: Yeah, number one. I mean, kind of the most boring number one you can possibly imagine is the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Maybe a bit of a weird choice, given what I've said about how important dungeons and puzzles are to me, because if there is a criticism of Breath of the Wild... It is that it is the Zelda that abandons most of the modern Zelda conventions. I say modern because, like I say, it's Nintendo pitch it as a... Well, this is actually like a, like a next-gen Incredi version of the original Legend of Zelda in that it's just total freedom to approach it as you want and do the dungeons in any order and all this kind of stuff. And basically all the kind of stuff that came after was sort of noise that we kind of cut through and, you know... There is part of me that is disappointed that this incredible world, probably the greatest video game world ever met, built, um, doesn't have... I feel like the cherry on top would be if it had, like, some more substantial, amazing dungeons, because it does have the puzzle mechanics, it does have the gadgets, it has the goods, you know, the fact that it sustains, you know, a hundred of these shrines across the map, which are themselves dense with a few puzzles each, I mean, they kind of are eight Zelda dungeons split up, you know, Mm. and spread across the map, but I, you know, maybe that's just a matter of, like, perception, you know, that it breaks from those rules, but if it doesn't deliver on those tropes maybe as much as i'd want the sense of like the raw sense of adventure and exploration in this game is just i mean we've talked about it before like there's nothing else like it um you know the idea of whatever you can see you can go there and the going there is a fascinating journey not because it serves up like bullshit along the way. It's just the art of navigating this game and the interlocking systems that come into play when you're navigating this world to make every journey interesting is absolutely sort of a a peerless evolution of survival mechanics and emergent physics shenanigans. You know, there's, there's so much going on in this game that just sort of sits... Sits next to each other and sort of hums along smoothly. It's kind of amazing. I mean, any, you know, any one of these systems I think would feel sublime and enough to support an entire game. You know, just like the alchemy of like electricity and fire and what that can do, or your central gadgets, or the the survival systems with the cooking and the the managing your resources. All all of those individual things are substantial enough to stand alone, but the fact that they all play together is just Mm, chef's kiss yeah i've got this game i you know what we've said this before as well i kind of fucking hate talking about it
0: <laughs> well it's a tough one to discuss for sure like um
1: let me ask it's you it's just what... like hyperbole central isn't it You're just like oh yes and this is exquisite
0: <laughs> well if i could describe a bit of my own journey with Zelda, so i think one of the reasons i don't really get into twilight princess or skyward sword is that you know these are games that are releasing around the time that like rockstar are making games um like a big, big 3d games. so obviously twilight princess is after san andreas and you know there's like red dead and i'm not saying like there's a lot of commonality between them i'm just saying that what i valued as a player was quite firm at the time i did want big open world experiences i did want you know sort of lightly systemic stuff i'm not like massive mm. on you know things have to be kind of out of control and like wild and creating micro narratives all the time it doesn't have to be that breathless but i do like the idea you know of a world that responds to you and i i thought I, these those two games twilight princess and skyward Sword, looked very trad to me in a way that wasn't that appealing as someone who was mm. primarily playing hd console games so when something like this comes along and I did play the demo of this at E3, because Ashley Day, you know, listener who we bring up quite a lot, he'll have to go on the bingo board soon with Rich Stanton as people we bring up. <laughs> um, he worked for Nintendo, even though I was on PC Gamer, very kindly let me go behind the velvet rope and play this demo. And, you know, just it basically is just like the first bit of the map, and um, it was just, uh, you know, revelatory. It was like, oh, wow. I mean, Nintendo is always at its most exciting to me when it's it, it is it's on this experimental streak but it's not being there are two Nintendo's. sometimes there is like the more conservative nintendo of like new super mario brothers and stuff like that i'm saying this as someone who you know nintendo is not my primary passion so yeah. i'm sure that'll frustrate a lot of people it's the but, bit of nintendo that likes money yes exactly but the i i like that i like the breath of the wild mario galaxy nintendo i like the you know mm. just here's something you have never seen before here's us pushing here's us figuring out what the next version of this thing looks like and and kind of changing uh, influencing other sort of like um developers around it and so you know i don't feel like i've seen much of the influence of, of this of this game beyond like you know some of the sort of well that immortals game for <laughs> the ubisoft one kind of like borrowing uh, a lot it, from it but yeah
1: it's um, never right then it's never right it's, it's always uh like a, a pale a imitation it's like a bit of it but they didn't fully understand what the magic of it was you know mm. like having like the gliding or whatever from from this you know and treating it as like well you'll glide you know this is how you glide to get to this island you know in in like a you know that immortal that phoenix immortals rising whatever you know oh well this glide will help you pass over these particular gaps or whatever Where actually like The glide is just good unto itself in Breath of the Wild. You know, the magic of the glide is warping to the top of one of those tall towers and then gliding down because it affords you an amazing view of this landscape. It just looks beautiful. Like, yes, there were strategic times that guide helped me, but most of the time I was just going to high places and chucking myself off Knowing that I could soar, and it, it was like That's like more like pilot wings than anything. I just enjoyed the experience of floating in the air and being above that world and looking down on that landscape from a place that I sort of shouldn't be. And that's the magic of just being that. I don't think many people, have, not many people, have the confidence to just do that and have that. Yeah, it's it's that's I, that's that's so that's so much of it. So much of this just ticks the the boxes of like what your childhood idea of, like, adventure is. You know, the famous cliche about Zelda is that, like, the idea stems from, like, Miyamoto exploring, like, the fields around his childhood home and seeing a cave and thinking, oh, I wonder what is in that. And that is something you that, like, never leaves you. Like, there is always a sense of kind of curiosity and, you know, of kind of what if or what's there or what's behind there, what's up there, what's on top of that, and just... Like this is just a game about being able to like answer that curiosity. It doesn't say like there will necessarily be something there. More often there or not there is and, and and not just an arbitrary pickup, but it's it's a game where you move and explore for the sake of moving and exploring. And that isn't really something I've ever seen in in any other game. Yeah, like the you know the, the sense of climbing up high just because you want to be up high in this world because you know it will look amazing and then it does and it was a hard climb and you actually had to think about it and you had to pack supplies to eat food on the way up to get up there because that's what climbing is it sort of yeah it's it's hmm. it really is like a, a thousand a thousand little things with this game and it that thing you talked about earlier on about hospitality in Ocarina. Like I think they refer to it, or one of them when he initially brings it up, it's this it's this aspect of like hospitality and that the world like accommodates everything you do. It's this sense of like if you can think of it or if you try it, something will happen. And it's kind of the, like the defining feature of of lots of my favorite games. Very few people do it because it's really hard. Like this obviously benefits from it has these big systemic things which support like like basic experimentation like there is if you do this then this will happen but like on top of that and what this game doesn't always get like it does get credit for but it, it gets overshadowed by that bigger sexier stuff is it still has that ethos of like someone has thought if someone does this there should be a reaction and You know, maybe that is a more bottled reaction than it is fully emergent. You know, like if you drop a piece of food by a dog, that dog will fall in love with you and follow you around. You know, I have come up with that moment. Like, if you can think of it, someone at Nintendo has probably already thought of it and is ready to be like, catch you. And that moment when they do, like, isn't that like the purest magic in all games? Like, the only other person who really does that is like, weirdly, like Kojima you know who is like if you can do it it has to do something you know like something has to happen to every reaction in this game and that is like that is alive more than anything else I can think of in in a game
0: oh geez hard to follow that up that was a uh, a good like um sort of unifying statement on this game I think that <laughs> I think something really basic that open world games don't do is making open world exploration fun um, we talked yeah. about this with Assassin's Creed 2 in our 2009 episode. It's like um, Ubisoft strips out the platforming from Assassin's Creed. It decides to oh. do it for you. And it's like, well, I would say that that's a failure then, because the act of exploring, if, it, if you're an open world game about exploration and you're taking out the part that makes the exploration bit fun, then have you not failed somewhat as, you know, when it comes to game design? But that's something I didn't even really think about until I played this game, because yeah. this game does ask, like, how do you make every every element of exploration from the climbing to the gliding to the simple act of looking at stuff and collecting stuff really exciting and and interesting to the player and like you and always stimulating and like Mm. instead like open world games have become like you play gta online you are driving from one end of the map to the other and you're switching off you're like oh i've done this a million times and i don't care and like Mm. i just think that this kind of recaptures oh yeah do you remember that you know the 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 reason you're doing this is that it's fun to explore, and and all of the mechanics feed into that. But um, yeah. I didn't I didn't articulate that as well as you did with that last point. That's um, honestly blown me out of the water, Matthew. So um, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, feeling self conscious
1: about it now. But um, oh, don't be dumb. <laughs> Not really joking. I've I've written so much about this game. I, it's a struggle, honestly. There were, when I reviewed this originally, it was a nightmare. Like it's the first time in like well, it's, it's, I think it's like the you know basically since editing nintendo mags first time in like 12 years like i actually had to give my review to rich stanton and i was just like like i just need to make sure like i'm not really wide of the mark with this so you know, can you take a look at this and i'm too proud to do that most times i would never hand my work to someone else but i was just like just like a sense check on this because i feel like this game is escaping me a bit and you know it gave me some really really good notes on it and i'm super proud of that review but it is a uh it's a it's a game that is just so massive in its ideas that it's it's so hard to pin down. It should just kind of be, I think. So even if it isn't like the classic Zelda by the criteria I've laid out through this list, like it's it's the best game to have the Zelda name on it, mm. and I think that's kind of got to count for something. <laughs>
0: Let me ask you one more question that ties us back to Skyward Sword. So hmm. why, why does Nintendo go so far in the other direction? You have this constrained game with quite dense dungeon design to this game that's all about the, the stuff outside the dungeon and, the, and where like the actual dungeon content is arguably light
1: or at least broken up. So what, what do you think motivates that change? I mean, I imagine the reaction to, like, the reaction to Skyward Sword has to be part of it like it's critically acclaimed but not beloved by the the fans necessarily and and you know numbers wise I don't know that that has to that has to play a part um when you read those water asks I think you get you get like a bit of insight into like how Nintendo do a lot of a lot of their like top level design is they start with like a very broad idea and then they sort of follow that idea through the project and they they don't just go well. We, we you know we've got these basics of Zelda. It really does feel like they start afresh. Of like you know we want to have like the, the you know the thing for Skyward Sword is motion control. You know is is the sense of a sword in your hand or something or whatever it is, and that governs everything. And I I wonder if the change here is just like the remit they give themselves is so broad that it gives them a sp- it just gives them a space to to just absolutely sort of spread their wings you know they basically say like i think it's something as simple as like challenge like get back to basics or and challenge conventions or something and it almost has like no direction to it and maybe they just like they gave themselves too much direction like maybe they set themselves too narrow a goal and they were too they're too effective at chasing those goals that actually, they delivered exactly what they set out to with Skyward Sword, Twilight Princess, Spirit Tracks, Phantom Hourglass. They just had to set themselves a goal that was like big enough that when they deliver on it, you know, it's it's a big idea. Um, it's it's sort of the read I have on it. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. But it's it's like I say, like the director of this game is the director of Skyward Sword. You know, and in those Iwata interviews, he is proud of Skyward Sword. He is clearly proud of what they have achieved. You know, he is really excited about what he has made. It's it's clearly satisfied him. But then, you know, he goes and does this. And, you know, there isn't an Iwata about this. There's a very nice set of YouTube documentary, like 10-minute docs, uh, like four makings of that Nintendo made about this with the team. And... It's just the same. It sounds like the way they talk about Skyward Sword. It just sounds like the same process. It just took them to this wildly different place. Hmm. You know, and I mean, come on. Breath of the Wild 2 is going to be amazing. It's got to be amazing. Hmm. The team that made this, they can't... Oh, yeah. How exciting. Yeah, What a thing to look forward to. There's going to be more of this, this thing they made. That is like... Oh, a- and, yeah. Maybe if it would be okay if it was just the same, but with like... Some clouds that you float around in. And just <laughs> skydiving into Hyrule, that is going to be... If it's seamless, if it's not like partition like it is in Skyward Sword, that is going to be a fucking like game of all time moment. Hmm
0: well perfect Matthew I think that's a good place to leave it on uh, on that one I think we've um I've no doubt that that game will come up on this podcast again and again and again so um, <laughs> yeah. yeah we can talk about uh, weapons breaking another time but um
1: oh fuck that <laughs> <laughs> uh, fuck what a boring conversation to have something about something so magical that's <laughs> that's that's the sign of a fucking tedious mind if that's what you think <laughs> fucking um, no interest <laughs> oh I'm so glad I asked about that now um <laughs> So uh, I think we're
0: boring. I think that's a good place to end it, Matthew. Because um, if people want to hear your thoughts on the the DS ones, which are probably like the missing piece there, you have talked about them on the 2007 and 2008 ones. Yeah. Yeah. So people can go listen to those podcasts if they want to hear your thoughts on those, but I think that's a great list. It was um, a true pleasure to hear you um, talk about those games. Oh, well,
1: I, I hope it wasn't just me monologuing at you, Samuel, but thanks for thanks for letting me wank on about Zelda for two hours. That oh, was a treat.
0: Oh, it was great, yeah, for sure. Okay, so thank you very much for listening to the podcast. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, we're BackpagePod on Twitter. You can also email us questions at BackpageGames at gmail.com. We will answer a bunch of questions um, in the in the episode after this one. Um, just uh, It's been a little while since done listener questions because we had such a run of dense episodes but uh, we always appreciate hearing from you so thank you and uh matthew where can people find you on twitter
1: i am mr basil underscore pesto
0: i'm samuel w roberts on twitter we'll be back next week with a lighter episode after these two very chunky boys in a <laughs> row um <laughs> so uh, thank you very much for listening and we'll be back next week bye for
1: now